Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. It is Wednesday morning, June 21, 843-661-0937. Good morning, Rev. Good morning. Good morning, No Shot Josh. Good morning. The No Shot Josh, um, the No Shot part of No Shot Josh is gaining some um, some notoriety. There's a, um, there's a Twitter battle out there between RFK Jr., Joe Rogan, and this doctor, this um, physician, I can't, his name escapes me. It's a bit odd. It's kind of an odd name, but he's one of these guys that appeared on CNN and MSNBC and all these other networks um, in support of the vaccine, the science, the technology. Uh, what am I trying to say here, Rev? The, um, uh, what the, idea? The, the, the science behind the vaccine. All, all of that. That led to the, um, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's highly effective or not, does it have side effects or not? Um, he said kind of the company line, Here's my frustration with the entire world today, because I am unbelievably frustrated Uh-oh. today. My frustration with the entire world is we're smarter than this. I mean, I understand uh, Twitter accounts. I understand Facebook pages. I understand websites that are, you know, th- that are compensated. I just wish you did. <laughs> really? I just wish you believe that, that you didn't believe these were sincere, concerned American citizens it's so obvious to me, having been in the game, who's getting paid to say something they may believe or may not. I mean, it would be easy to get paid for something you fundamentally believe in. If somebody said, hey, man, um, I want to sponsor Wake Up Carolina. I want to sponsor No Stoplights, and I'm willing um, I'm willing to pay and just kind of get out of your way. I mean, I don't want to dictate content. You have at it. Um, I am very much on board with your ideological view of the world. I mean, that, that would be... Just, just absolutely amazing. I mean, it would be liberating. Um, I, I will say this. We don't adjust very much of what we say or stand for, but we do have sponsors. And we have to be aware of, of them putting or associating their names with our with our radio show. And we can't get, well, I mean, someone say, well, what is extreme <laughs> if you're not on the extreme at certain point times? Didn't you say that you think the problem with the world is people aren't eating enough beef and smoking too much weed? <laughs> I mean, didn't that, that something that I guess um, it's a subjective thing? I mean, it's, it's, very, it's very subjective, but it's so obvious to me who's getting paid um, to say what or do what. I'll give an example. Um, the Republican Party, many Republicans, it's not a majority, but many Republicans still believe that there's a chance we can salvage the debate of limited or, or big government. I mean, there's some Republicans, National Review. I mean, the weekly standard's gone bust. Bill Crystal, I mean, Crystal's a neocon. It's obvious to me Crystal got paid a lot of money in his uh, media career and I guess consulting career to some degree for being a cheerleader for the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. Not not the rank-and-file soldier. I mean, the rank-and-file soldier, um, airman, uh, could care less about what the National Review Weekly Standard are saying. But to the masses, to, to, the, to those not wearing fatigues, to those not fighting in... In, um, in foreign lands, but but had a say in how much money does, you know, the um, the neoconservative movement deserve to enhance safety and security around the world. I mean, it's obvious to me now that Crystal was simply, I mean, Crystal doesn't have an ideological core. I mean, the National Review and the Weekly Standard are to uh, promote orthodox conservatism in the name of, uh, in other words, uh, neoconservatism would be one of the main threads of the conservative movement of the past generation. 
and quickly, excuse me, um, Crystal and George Will and some of these others. I mean, it's obvious their most, their most lucrative career path was to be on board with whatever it took to make the military industrial complex um, happy. And the only, and here's my frustration, there are 20%, maybe 25% of Republican voters who believe that this debate is beneath us. This, this debate about government being trustworthy or not is beneath us. Um, limited government is still the debate. Um, you know, the, um, the improvement of education, the enhancement of infrastructure, the cr- critically important issues, but not the most important today. The only issue on the table today that we should cast a ballot in favor or against is this party trust government or not. I mean, it's just not a time right now to be concerned with the size of government, what government does, what it doesn't do, the, the trustworthiness. I mean, government is on trial today. And it's not about, you know, what, what the Weekly Standard wrote about limited government or what the, um, you know, so, some, of the, uh, some of the Keynesian economists wrote about bigger government. Moder- but that's just not the debate today. I mean, I'd love for it to be. I think America in its best is when we're debating Keynesian economists and modern monetary theorists and limited government and the Fed. I mean, I do believe that those are our best days when we're having fundamental disagreements, um, intelligent discussions about what government should or should not do, how much money it takes to do this or that or the other. And, and maybe one day, I mean, I'm not very optimistic, but maybe one day we get back to those central debates in, in American history. That's just not where we are today. It's can the government be trusted or not? And the majority of Americans are beginning to sense, no, it can't. I mean, it can't be trusted. Um, and when, when you think about why, why now? I mean, why is this the moment in time that we need to be so sensitive to that central issue? Because we're applying justice. I mean, as important as... Or not. Well, I mean, as important as, as defending our borders and defending our presence abroad. I mean, th- those are important issues. I'm not making light of those issues. But the application of justice is something that we've entrusted in our government via the, the judiciary branch uh, and in concert with the consult in concert with the executive and and legislative. I mean, we apply justice in judiciary, but but who appoints judges? Who approves budgets? I mean, it's not just the judiciary. I mean, I mean they get the final call. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, but they they have to be depended upon. The DOJ doesn't have a budget. They don't have money to spend to pay employees and build an infrastructure unless the legislative branch appropriates. So, so, so it is in concert with an executive branch that, that asks, you know, to, for this person to be a judge or that person to be a judge, uh, advise and consent. Uh, the approval of this person is worthy uh, of being a judge. How many times have we heard recently a Trump appointee, you know, an Obama appointee, a Clinton appointee, uh, we're hearing a little bit, not much a Reagan appointee. I mean, those mo- folks are mostly retired or, or moved on uh, to the hereafter. Uh, but, but you know, we're, we're getting a lot of uh, talk now. But, but once again, the application of justice, is it politically motivated or not? I mean, how is that not more important than how much we fund education or what our national security budget is going to be? I mean, and I, and I, I just wish people, and that's my frustration, there are still holdouts. I mean, I go to the National Review and I go to the Wall Street Journal. The majority of people who read the Wall Street Journal, the National Review, are conservative. I mean, overwhelmingly. I mean, if we took a Venn diagram, how many people subscribe to the National Review and listen to conservative talk radio? 
I mean, there'd be a lot of overlap there. I mean, there would be. It's it's not one and the same, but it's 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 one. It's 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 close to that. I mean, the percentage of people who listen to talk radio um, don't go to Salon.com or Huffington Post or or watch MSNBC. I do, but I host a radio show, so I want to be you know rounded and informed. I want I want to understand what the other side um, is saying. But my 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 frustration is. The left have circled the wagons, and, and they're so much better at the right. And we're using traditional terminology here. But the left has circled the wagon and said, nothing to see here. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. Trump's a maniac. He has to be dealt with accordingly. Biden's a good, decent, honest man. He's been there a long time. He's in cognitive decline, but he, you know, he's, he's kind of a harmless old man. And, and that's, that's where the left has landed. And, and we're scurrying about. I mean, it, it's, I'm glad that we're like this. I'm glad we don't fall in line. I'm glad we have some of this infighting and some of these disagreements within. But but I just think we've got to figure out a way to get everybody on board in believing that the most important and pressing issue in America today is the equal application of justice or not. And I think the Hunter Biden story is clearly an example that there's not an equal application. I've complained profusely. I've complained, once again, profusely. Hmm. For a month or two or three or four That's or a lot year. Inconsistently. Well, I mean, sure. But I, I, I've said this for many, many, many months. When is the mainstream media going to report on this Hunter Biden episode? I mean, when is the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, uh, Washington Post, NBC, ABC, CBS, um, when, when is this you know traditional media machine going to accept some responsibility in believing this is a story worthy of? Reporting um, today, today, at long last, I didn't read the um, the Times. The Post had a big story. Uh, the Was- the Wall Street Journal had a big story. Of the three, what I'll call the um, the meter movers in days gone by, and by that I mean the traditional media obviously doesn't move the meter. I've I've offered kind of a question to our listeners: If you had a widget and you thought your widget was um was 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 a good enough widget to be mass marketed and you thought you had something that could make you a rich person and you had an opportunity to advertise that widget on the Joe Rogan podcast or let's say Tucker's podcast the Tucker Carlson podcast the Joe Rogan podcast or MSNBC CNN and Fox I mean you'd be a moron not to market that widget on I mean if you were asked to sit down with Jake Tapper at CNN Brick Barrett Fox um uh, what's uh, give me a MS, uh, Rachel Maddow uh, at MSNBC or sit down with Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan and they dedicate an entire podcast to you and your widget. I mean, you, you, you'd be a moron to say thank you, but no thank you to CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC. Tucker was averaging a million views an hour. I don't know what it ended up, but when I went to bed, it was six and a half million views and the video had been downloaded or produced, as Rev says. Uh, published published for six and a half <laughs> hours. Um, so he's averaging somewhere in the neighborhood of a million views an hour. Now, I mean, some will be, some will gain a, a bigger and larger response than than others. Um, the first one had, what, 120 million views, somewhere there about. I think the second had 65 or 70 million uh, views. I mean, you'll still get more, but it won't be at the rate it is today. But, um, but it still matters, but it matters to me because it speaks to the uh, k- kind of the nature of where we are. Once again, Tucker, Joe Rogan, 
far more influential today than Jake Tapper, Brett Bayer, Rachel Maddow combined. Uh, but it still matters, and it matters a lot. So the Wall Street Journal, I was very interested in this. Um, but the Wall Street Journal has not dedicated an inch, a story to the Hunter Biden uh, escapades. But I mean, they've just chosen to say it, it, it may be a story one day, and we'll cover that story in due time. Now, the Wall Street Journal, why am I more interested in the journal than I am the Times and Post? Because I expect the Times and Post to sugarcoat it. I mean, I expect the Times, and I'll say this, Rev asked, you know, what I thought of it. I'll probably say this more than one time in today's show. Hunter Biden didn't make a plea bargain. He was pardoned. I mean, there was not a deal made in this. I mean, I wrote it down this morning. It's not a plea deal. It's a pardon. And Kodak Black says, says it's um, it's absolutely because he went to jail for some of the felony gun charges. Mm. Uh, it, the hypocrisy here. And uh, once again, frustrated today. Um, false statement to obtain a firearm. I mean, that's a 10-year felony. That'd mean he'd go to jail for 10 years, but that's the crime. I mean, that's kind of the... Um, uh, that, that, that's the sentencing guidelines for when someone um, lies on an application to obtain a firearm. Um, Senator Biden, when a member of the U.S. Senate, could have been any year in the last 50 years, I think that's how long he was a U.S. Senator. But, I mean, on, on some of his tough-on-crime legislation, Biden was one of the loudest voices about, you know, lying on applications. we got to keep the guns out of hands of potential criminals. These people who lie on an application. I mean, he had a lot to say in days gone by about individuals who lie when trying to obtain a firearm. Now, there's, there's kind of a uh, there's a lingo within um, that legislation, and it's called lie and try. I mean, I've heard this before. In my days in politics, I would dabble in. I mean, I never served at the national level, local and state. But at the national level, there, there was this lingo, lie and try. In other words, I lied and I tried, but I, but, but I failed. I didn't get the gun. I lied on an on a, uh, application. I got caught lying, and I didn't get the gun. So what's the harm there? I mean, this is some of the federal lingo, once again. But, but Biden lied and succeeded. I mean, he got the gun. Um, they lost the gun. He's brandished the gun uh, with, with uh, you know, crack-induced prostitutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen the gun that he lied about on some of these pictures and videos and um, with prostitutes and, and I, I would imagine uh, fellow crack addicts. Um, and I'm, I don't take any joy in that. I certainly not. But, 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 and then we, we believe uh, that there's some pretty legitimate reporting that they lost the gun. He may not have lost the gun. His, uh, his lover and brother's ex-wife. Remember, Haley Biden was married to Bo Biden. Her, her, yeah, his brother's widow. Bo Biden dies, makes Haley Biden Bo's widow. She and Hunter hook up. I mean, this is, you know, hey, I'll let you judge. Hunter and she hook up. She has the gun, and they lose it somewhere near a school. Of course. And they find the gun somewhere near a school. Um <laughs> But, but he got the gun. I mean, it's not the old lie and try. You know, Josh has a Josh has had some situations in his life that he'd rather not reveal to the guy who runs the gun shop. Um, Josh walks into Schofields, fills out an application, doesn't tell the truth. Um, Don Whirl, our good friend DW, um, finds out that Josh lied 
And so, so Josh does not obtain the firearm. They do a background check. He doesn't obtain um, the firearm. That's not the case with Biden. Hunter Biden lied and, and obtained the firearm. So, so there, you know, and, and Biden was the guy, one of the guys, not the only, but Joe Biden was one of the senators who said, we got to stop these people. We got to stop these addicts and crazy people from getting guns. Uh, but it's, it, it's, it's not a plea deal. It's a pardon. Hunter Biden didn't cut a plea deal. Hunter Biden was pardoned for anything he may or may not have done. Now, once again, John Durham will appear before the House Oversight Commission. I don't run the House Oversight Commission. I don't need to be running the House Oversight Commission, but I wish Jim Comer would listen to me right now. Here's what Comer needs to do today at 8 o'clock. He needs to subpoena the bank records from 17 and 18 that they're charging Biden from not paying taxes on a couple of million dollars in income. I mean, that, that, that's what needs to happen this morning. The House Oversight Committee needs to subpoena the bank records from 17 and 18. I mean, that's a good starting place. There's more there. I mean, I'll assure you of this. I mean, there's more there. But this investigation, as far as the DOJ is concerned, from what I'm gathering, is closed. The lawyer for Hunter Biden said yesterday, multiple times on multiple networks, he was never asked about the laptop. He was never, ever asked, um, have you seen the laptop? Do we, is there, are there things consistent or inconsistent with what is being said on the laptop? But, but that's what the House Oversight Committee should do today. I mean, Comer's smarter than I am. But, but I wonder how savvy some of these people are. Subpoena the bank records this morning. For the year 17, 2017, and 2018, that needs to happen uh, to, to kind of send a message. You know, DOJ may be finished. We aren't. We're nowhere near complete with our investigation, and you're not going to get help. I mean, the, the oversight committee needs to understand they're not going to get any help. I mean, the DOJ and FBI are not going to provide you with what you need to, once again, apply justice equally and fairly, whether you're the son of a president or a an african-american rapper who spent three years in jail for exactly the same offense that hunter biden is being pardoned for this morning let's go to the phone here is dw in florence good morning hey guys what's up speak of the devil huh i show up on the phone you <laughs> good know, to hear from uh, you yeah good to hear from you guys uh that's really really crazy you start listening to this kind of stuff and people who deal with these kind of issues, like you just said, you know, if it's a everyday Joe, pardon the pun, you get a, uh, all of us that are in that office are looking hard to find out what's going on and why this person is this way and that way. And to find out, they go to jail. No hands, no, no questions asked, nothing. They go to jail. Uh, they don't get a, they don't get a plea deal. They don't get uh, special treatment. He, he committed four felonies, not counting a few others, not counting just the drugs, four felonies on that um, filling out a, a gun application and then lose a gun and not reporting it and not, you know, anybody else, this, this is what's so crazy. Anybody else would be in jail for this. Just like you said, some poor guy or some guy who uh, just trying to every day get along. But if he lies on that FFL, he's going to jail no, no, no matter who you are. It's just amazing how easy they get please deal it off and get away from it. And those of us who work hard and don't have the, the ability to do so have to suffer for it while he and his um, group 
that, that are privileged get away from it. So it's aggravating for us because we deal with it and we work hard to keep things straight and think things right in the, in the, for everybody who buys a gun. But then you got people come on like this to mess up everything. It's it's just it's crazy, 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 and getting worse. So, man, you guys have a great day. Uh, take care. Talk thank, to you soon. Thank you, DW. Appreciate it. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. The more conservative of the three outlets, and I keep referring to the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the and the Wall Street Journal. The more conservative is the Wall Street Journal, but but I think people mistake and they're editorializing with their reporting. I'm not sure their reporting is any less liberal than the New York Times or, but I want to read verbatim. I won't read the entire report, but for the first time in the Wall Street Journal's history, they did a story on Hunter Biden, his situation. And and I want to read it verbatim because it's so interest, interesting, the choice of words, language, and the um, the hitting Hunter Biden with a pillow that you would expect from the MSNBC crowd, uh, the Wall Street Journal does exactly the same thing. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number story of the day. Love to hear what you have to say in regards to Hunter Biden's <laughs> plea deal slash pardon. I think that's so clever. That's a good one. Well, I mean, it's just inconsistent, totally inconsistent. Um, Paul Manafort didn't register as a foreign agent, went to prison. I mean, Washington said we're cracking down on these people who are taking money from foreign governments and not disclosing that income, not registering registering as an agent for a foreign government. Um, I mean, that, what did Tucker do? If not, excuse me, what did um what did Hunter do? If uh, if nothing else, these first name last name people always confuse <laughs> me. I've got this. I got this rare version of dyslexia that if you've got a last name for a first name. I can never can remember <laughs> uh, your, what your first name is. Yeah, well, you just called, you called yeah. Hunter uh, Tucker. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they, they got these. Similar too. Well, I mean, they got these last names yep. for first names. It should be John <laughs> Tucker, you know, or James Hunter. I mean, that should be their their names instead. I mean, what parent names the? Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll look there. <laughs> but 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 you say that that Hunter really the the more serious crime is the gun crime. It's a felony. I mean, it's a ten year felony. It's um. I mean, the, the, the tax crimes are squishy. I mean, they are. Um, failing to file income taxes in a timely fashion. And now intent comes into that. I mean, Tucker, I mean, Tucker, Hunter, <laughs> I mean, uh, Hunter, no. I mean, here's the deal. How do you not report $2 million in income? I mean, I understand if you're part of an LLC and you got a disbursement check and you're not sure whether that's ordinary income or not. You're not sure whether that's capital gains or not. You're not sure whether... Uh, what your basis is in that property. I mean, that's very common for, for business people. Uh, I mean, that, that would always be. Remember when we asked Thigpen about Trump running for president and Thigpen said, you know, people will understand business people who, who always had trouble with the with the tax man, so to speak. I mean, there, there's an ongoing back and forth with business people. Um, you know, did you intentionally hide income? Um, $2 million of income. I mean, how do you not intentionally hide? How do you forget? I mean, how much money do you have to make <laughs> to mistakenly not um, declare $2 million of income? And in essence, that's what he's done in 17 and 18. And once again, the um, the filing of taxes or not, I mean, that, that that's, I don't want to say it's common, but it's not real uncommon. I mean, it's not uncommon at all. And it's not uncommon for business people to argue about 
was this income? You know, what was my basis in this? Um, that's passive. Uh, that's earned. I mean, there's a lot of disagreements that are had um, in there. But you'd have to have a you'd have to have an income like Elon Musk to not realize that you didn't report two million dollars of income. So, so you know, I mean, the um the nature of the misreporting would would, would make me curious. But the gun law is fairly ironclad. I mean, it's fairly easy to understand uh, once again. And I think the hypocrisy of this is Joe Biden, when a senator was going to be tough on guns, not tough on crime. I mean, it's people, right? I mean, it's not the guns. Oh. I mean, you see where I'm headed. Yeah. I mean, it's um the left believes it's the gun that's the problem. You and I believe it's the criminal that's the problem. So, um, so Biden in his days as a senator is going to make it real hard for people to break the law in obtaining of gun because the gun's the killer. Forget the people for a second. The left always argues, you know, the guns are the problem. America has more guns than any nation in human history. That's the problem. I mean, it's not, you know, um, the declining of morality, um, human, uh, it's not any of that. But, but the gun law clearly says, um, false statement to obtain a firearm is a 10 year felony. Doesn't mean you do 10 years, but that's the sentencing guideline. Um, now add, add the fact that he didn't lie and try. I mean, didn't lie on the application, try to obtain a firearm and didn't get it anyway. In other words, they did the background check and the background check revealed that he had some issues. He didn't report. Yeah. I, I guess you get a phone call. Um, you get a letter saying, Hey, you lied on this application. And because you lied, you're ineligible to get a firearm that there's something in your background that does that disqualifies you from getting from getting a gun. But Biden, Hunter Biden, lied and succeeded. He got the gun. He lied on the application. He got the gun. He lost the gun. Now there's some concern whether he lost it or the the widow of his brother, who is now or was at that time his lover, pretty weird, but you know, it's the Bidens we're talking about here. Um all is fair in love and war. So so she is married to Bo Biden. Bo Biden tragically dies of cancer. I, I guess she's got a thing for Bidens. She starts sleeping with sure. Hunter Biden. They have the gun in their possession. One or the other, either Hunter or Haley, lose the gun near a school. Don't report the gun is missing. I mean, it stands to reason. Why would you report the gun is missing if you're not supposed to have the gun in the first place? I mean, it's the, it's the quintessential gun crime. I mean, it really is. It's not murdering anybody, but it's a guy that has no business with a gun, and it's obvious he has no business with a gun. I mean, there are videos on his laptop of him brandishing the gun while high on cocaine or crack or whatever it is. He was addicted to alcohol. I think he had some issues with alcoholism, and that's a human tragedy. And I think Joe Biden has every right to say, I love my kid. I'm proud of my kid. I mean, I think every parent can, can respect that. I mean, I have enormous respect. I love my kid. I'm not bailing on my kid, but your kid has privileges that most others don't have. And there's one thing in getting your kid in Stanford when Joe Blow can't, or getting your kid in Harvard when Joe Blow can't, and getting your kid off of a gun charge when Joe Blow goes to jail. That's why I'm saying this is the, I mean, this is the most egregious offense of all. Your, your, your son clearly broke the law. The law is fairly, I mean, it's fairly simple. Now, the, the tax laws are complicated. I mean, Hunter could argue, you know, I didn't report that income because I didn't perceive that any, but, but $2 million or more, we're talking about $2,000 or $20,000. I mean, if someone's making a million bucks a year and they misreport twenty grand in income, okay, 
I mean, I get it. I mean, the world's complicated. Uh, you know, you're, you're, there's a lot of gray there. You're playing in the gray. Uh, you know, that that's nothing unusual. That happens every day that, that you know, America exists, exists in a country. But I want to go to the Wall Street Journal because this is interesting to me. And I think this really highlights or emphasizes the point I'm trying to make that we have this monolith. And, I mean, I think the Wall Street Journal. This is the first article. And I've read WSJ.com every day for 10 years. I mean, I've been a subscriber. The first publication that I subscribed to after I began hosting a radio show was the Wall Street Journal. I felt they would give a fair accounting of whatever it is we're trying um, to discuss or talk about. Not, uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're probably a bit conservative biased toward Wall Street. I mean, it's not the Main Street Journal. But they run a little interference for finance as far as I'm concerned. If Goldman Sachs is fined a billion dollars for, you know, insider trading, it's somewhere down there in the corner in small lingo. You know what I'm saying? Yep. If some banker's busted for insider trading, they seem to say, well, I mean, it was complicated. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, trading and transacting on Wall Street is very complicated. But I want to read this verbatim. I won't read the entirety, um, but this is the first article. But the Wall Street Journal, not the New York Times, the Washington Post, we know they're liberal. I mean, we know they're in the tank for the Democrats. This is the first report. You ready? Hunter Biden's messy path to a plea deal. Private life of President's sons, our President's son has provided fodder for Republican attacks. That's kind of interesting. And, and, and the subtitle, Republican attacks. Hmm, okay. Re- remember a couple of weeks ago, they did an article on George Soros' son and he was not a left-wing activist. He was a right-wing target. He was not an activist for left-wing causes, but rather a target for white right-wing extremists. Words mm-hmm. matter. I mean, rest assured. So let, let's read one paragraph or a couple. Ready? The Justice Department said Tuesday that Hunter Biden would plead guilty to two misdemeanor tax offenses and enter a diversion program that would allow him to avoid a felony firearms conviction if he meets certain conditions. If he successfully completes the program, he would serve no jail time for the firearms charge. A judge will determine his sentence on the tax charges. Tax prosecutions for misdemeanor charges without other charges rarely lead to prison time. If approved by a judge, a plea agreement between the Justice Department and Hunter Biden ends a long-running criminal probe into President Biden's only surviving child. Hmm. President Biden's only surviving child who has struggled with substance abuse issues and faced allegations of corruption from political critics of the president. Okay. I mean, I, there's no need in reading anymore. And now, right? now, you said that came from the Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal. Because I would expect the New York Times sure. or the Washington Post to write I mean, something like matter. that. words so, matter. So in the first paragraph, you've got wow. um, Hunter Biden's messy path, you've got Republican attacks, and you've got... Um, Aggressive, no, I want to read this correctly. Long running criminal probe into President Biden's only surviving son. Why does that matter? I mean, why does it matter if it's his only kid? I mean, if I've only got one kid, he can break the law. I mean, if I've got six, you see where I'm headed? Mm-hmm. Only surviving son who has struggled with substance abuse issues and faced allegations of corruption from political critics of the president. I mean, that, that's, that's very intentional. But that's to paint a picture inconsistent with reality. They didn't include a picture of a, a crack pipe and prostitutes and, you know, a, um, a bank report 
of money being wired from a foreign government into uh, accounts in Hunter Biden's name. Didn't include any of that. He's the only surviving son, and Republican critics have aggressively pursued this prosecution. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Here is Rujan in Darlington. Good morning. Hey, guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I was listening to that, 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 uh, that Wall Street Journal report, and I'm kind of looking, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, Wesley Snipes, who had a similar situation with, um, with not reporting income, and he spent a little bit of time in jail. I'm looking at Kodak uh, Black, and, and uh, he had a situation with a gun charge, and he spent a little time in jail. Now, not, not not a little bit of time, but but quite a bit of time. But and and I'm kind of like, where's the NAACP? Where is BLM? Where is Antifa? Why are they not screaming and hollering about the uh, the improprieties of our justice system? And also, why why in the world aren't the soccer moms in the in the uh, in the suburbs, why are they not screaming and, 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 and hollering about the injustices of this uh, particular thing? Because it, it, unless you're an uber rich or an uber uh, person that, that has a whole bunch of money, you can get off. But 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 the thing about it is Wesley Snipes and Kodak Black had plenty of money, but they couldn't get off. But maybe it's because they were, they were black and they uh, weren't privileged. I'm just kind of saying that, Ken, but... But man, oh man, you talking about chickens coming home to roost? Aye, aye, aye. It, it just it just seems to me like uh, they're thumbing their nose up to us, and like Marie Antoinette says, "Let them eat cake." Thank That's you, Rujan. Appreciate it. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Don't want to get too far behind. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few more. Six one zero nine three seven is our number. So you had some advice early this morning for James Comer because uh, he, they need. You said they need to subpoena the bank records for Hunter Biden from seventeen and eighteen. If you do that today, you you just send a loud and clear message. This isn't over. I mean, despite what DOJ has done, despite what the uh, the plea bargain that they reached, this is not over. I mean, there's still a um, an ongoing investigation. Maybe the DOJ and FBI didn't do it up to snuff, but the House Oversight Committee is going to pursue this. And I would say something like to the extremes of Earth. You know, I mean, it's something. Uh, I mean, it's it's, it's it's very political here. And um, yes, I mean, I, I would I would subpoena the 17 and 18 tax returns for Hunter Biden. I mean, you probably need that information anyway, but it solidifies the argument that. We're not going to take DOJ and FBI at their word. We don't trust them to do a thorough investigation. We don't trust them to equally apply the law one to another. Uh, and we're going to we're, we're not shutting down our investigation because he reached a plea deal or a pardon with the uh, with the <laughs> DOJ. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Charles in the morning. Good morning. Good morning. Let's uh, let's assume for a minute there's a. 47, 48-year-old black man on the south side of Chicago, and there's videos everywhere of him doing crack cocaine and carousing with prostitutes with a brandishing a gun in his hand. Uh, let's assume this same 47-year-old black man um, destroys evidence. Uh, the gun ends up in a dumpster at a school, 
and let's assume that somehow he makes $2 million and doesn't pay any taxes on it, and at age 53, do you think there is a snowball's chance in hell of him receiving um, uh, a plea deal? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna let this slide because there ain't nothing to it. What, what do you think the chances are of of something like that happening? Um, the Democrats want uh, everything to be equal, racially equal, but what? is going on with Hunter Biden is not racially equal with any minority in this country. And the only way the 53-year-old black man's father would say, I'm very proud of my son, is if he did happen to get off scot-free without having to pay anything. Now, Hunter Biden is a, is a private citizen, and I really don't care a whole lot about his personal life. But if you're going to go after him, you have to go after him just like you would go after anyone else. And the fact that he got off because his last name is Biden is a disgrace, especially when you know if his last name was Trump, he'd have been handcuffed and perp-walked perp into the jail. Uh, you asked for people's opinions, and those are mine. Very well thought of. Thank and you, I Charles. Think- Appreciate that, my man. I don't know many privileged people in this world. I mean, I've just never run in that circle. Um, I mean, I've got some friends who made some money. I've got some friends who've made a lot of money, and they can do what they want to do and go where they want to go. But I don't know that they've ever considered themselves to be privileged. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, they are. In the grand scheme of things, in, 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 the, in, the, in the world's, you know, billions of people, how many, six, eight billion people live on the planet, all three sitting in this studio are privileged. I mean, Josh is privileged. I'm privileged. Reb is privileged. In the American ecosystem, um, the, the American societal ecosystem, I mean, it, it, privileged is is kind of a rarity. I've known one person in my life that I would consider privileged. Um, they grew up in a certain world of which I'm very unfamiliar with. Um, they had certain privileges that, that I'm very unfamiliar with. Um, once again, I've known some business guys that, that have made a lot of money, but they grew up rough and tumbly. That they happened to catch lightning in a bottle. They ended up on the good side of um, a business. They did exceedingly well, and they could go and do and buy whatever they chose to go do and buy. But I never looked at them as privileged. This one person in my life, and, and he told me something one day because he knows he's privileged. He's uh, six or eight years older than I am. And he said his father told him a long time ago that privilege has a price. And the price is you don't screw up. You just don't screw up. I mean, if you're privileged, you just don't screw up. It has a price. And the Bidens have flaunted this. I go back to Rev Rev said something during the break about the Clintons. About, well, I mean, yeah, Bill was the president. No, I'm talking about the Clintons at the age of 25 years old. If somebody would have put an X beside Bill and Hillary Clinton's name and said, you can never run for office nor hold office, now have at it. Go do the best you can. I think they're resourceful enough to make a living. I mean, they would have never had a Clinton Global Initiative. They would have never had the 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 um the foundation. I think it was an ancillary foundation to that. But but I think they would have done okay. I mean, if you would have excluded Bill Clinton from politics, you would have not let him do what he was intended to do. I mean, he's a natural politician. I mean, Hillary not so, but she married a natural politician. So when you marry a natural politician, your life is normally centered around what politics. So so she was kind of along for the ride. Nobody. 
accuses Hillary of being as smart or as able as Bill, but but go to the Bidens. And I, and I sincerely believe this. Had the Bidens been excluded, and this is hypothetical, I'll accept that, but had the Bidens been excluded from becoming a senator or senator's son or the family of a U.S. senator, they would have struggled. I mean, I'm convinced of that, that they would have struggled to stay ahead, to, to live. I mean, they'd never lived the kind of life they, they've lived. But, I mean, you got a kid who went to um, Georgetown, got his law degree from Harvard, um, ends up on the board at Amtrak, what, one, of the, uh, one of the counselors for MBNA Bank in Delaware. I mean, imagine how that may have happened or not. I mean, do you think there was some currying favor um, there? And I think, I mean, uh, you know, Charles makes an, inc- an interesting distinguishment. I mean, Hunter Biden's a private citizen, but but he's the son of a man who has chosen to self-advantage in the name of being a senator, a vice president, a former vice president. I, I don't know that there's any accusations since he's become president, but there's a lot of smoke. I mean, we've not found any fire yet, but there's a lot of smoke surrounding his family and their prosperity and, and questioning whether or not it's rightfully gained once again. The, the, the people in my life that have become enormously successful, they're still not privileged. Or maybe they are, they just don't feel that way. And I don't perceive them to be that way. But that, once again, enough money to go and do wherever they want to go and do. Two beach houses, three, so what? Doesn't matter to them. But, but they, they're, they don't have this sense of entitlement. They, don't, I mean, they, they didn't go to Georgetown and go to Yale and end up with some put cush job at you know, a big bank in Delaware and then on the board in Amtrak. I mean, they're grinders. You know, they've, uh, they've caught lightning in a bottle, been enormously successful. Privilege has a price. And I think Hunter Biden has been a very privileged kid. And, and I think the Wall Street Journal does a disservice in trying to articulate. Uh, here, here's another. I mean, let me just read this, guys. Hunter got an undergraduate degree from Georgetown, a law degree from Yale. He worked as a lawyer for MBNA America, a banking conglomerate based in his home state of Delaware. No, it's not his home state of Delaware. It's the state of which his daddy's been a senator for the last half century. I mean, that's the proper way to report this. He briefly did a stint as a government official uh, in the Commerce Department and on the board of the publicly owned railroad company Amtrak. Uh, and his father famously, notoriously known for riding the Amtrak. Lunch pail Joe rides uh, the Amtrak. I mean, you can't yeah, make sure this is. up. I mean, it's insiderism 101. Um, and then he ramped up business activities with European and Chinese tycoons. What sort of business activities? I mean, how did Hunter, I still ask the question, and it's still the central question that I guess the oversight committee has an interest in, how do the Bidens get wealthy? I mean, in 17 and 18, there's somewhere in the neighborhood between 2 and $3 million of income that was not reported. I think it's been since reported because I think Biden borrowed money in 2021 I mean, I think he kind of fell on the sword and said, you're right, I didn't report all that income, and he went and borrowed some money. I mean, that's what he said. He, you know, he was destitute and broke and, and not able to make ends meet, and he went and borrowed money to pay the, the – but I want to know where the money came from. Forget the taxes on the money. I mean, we're paying close attention. So he didn't pay taxes on two and a half, three million dollars $3 million. Where did the money come from? That's why I want to subpoena the bank returns or the tax returns. I mean, the tax returns will have, you know, he was paid X number of dollars by this company or that company or, or this proprietorship or that proprietorship. What, where did the money come from? Let's establish that. I mean, he's pled guilty to that. So he's not denying that he didn't report 
uh, over two million dollars in income in seventeen and eighteen. So, so that's not. I mean, that that's that's not an oversight committee's accusation. I mean, that's an established fact now. And I think by him paying the tax, borrowing the money, paying the tax, I mean, he established that. Yeah, you're. I got paid by um, Ukrainian, Romanian, Chinese companies for doing this uh, this globe trotting work that I'm so famous and in demand for. Um, I mean, you know, I think the painting business, I mean, this is another bizarre element here. Remember Hunter Biden became this renowned painter and he sold his prints for Mm $75,000. The original print of the original painting was $400,000 to $500,000. But you can't make it up. I mean, he sat on the board at Amtrak. He got a job at MBNA Bank in Delaware. Um, but it's, it's almost, we know there's a double standard. Andy McCarthy, I mean, we're famous for quoting two people here and, and we're quoting pro and con McCarthy and Bill Barr. We're always, you know, what did Bill Barr say? What did Andy McCarthy say? McCarthy's article in the national review today basically says that this is a slap in the wrist. It's a slap in the face of America first. And it's to inspire you to be more supportive of Trump. So Trump is for sure the nominee. In other words, the Trump indictment has, has caused a little problem with Trump's popularity amongst Republican voters. I mean, I saw the favorable rating of Trump with Republican primary voters went from 70-ish to 60-ish. So, so you know, maybe. I mean, do you want to play 4D chess? Mm-hmm. Trump Let's takes a ding because of the indictment. There may be a chance for DeSantis to get in the game. DeSantis has a better chance of beating Biden than Trump. I mean, I think most people believe that. I mean, I do. I can't speak for most people, but I believe that DeSantis has a better chance of beating Biden. I mean, I think Trump can beat Biden, but I think he can lose to Biden. I don't think DeSantis can lose to Biden unless the the GOP decides to sit on the bench and, you know, voter turnout. And by that, I mean unsolicited mail-in ballots and voter verification and uh, ballot harvesting and all those other sorts of things. I mean, if given a fair shake, now, now I don't think we can expect to be given a fair shake, but if given a fair shake, DeSantis beats Biden nine out of 10 times. Trump beats Biden five out of 10 times. I mean, I, I believe that. I sincerely believe that. So if Trump's popularity goes from somewhere in the 70s to somewhere in the 60s because of the indictment and the, um, I mean, he's defended some of these parts fairly well and some others he struggled. You would expect that when you're charged with 37 things <laughs> and, um, you know, you just throw a handful of this against the wall and some of it sticks. I mean, the voters say, wow, man, he did a good job of explaining that. Not such a good job of explaining this. So McCarthy makes the argument that this is the answer to that. I mean, this is a way to get Trump back into 70s and make sure he is the eventual nominee so you can beat him in 2024 and Biden stays president, Biden are in control of the DOJ and FBI, uh, pardons or not. I mean, we're playing 4D chess now, but McCarthy really believes that this was intended to insult America first. This was intended to to rile up the conservative talk show host in South Carolina, um, talking about what the plea bargain or what the plea deal, but rather a pardon. They're doing exactly what they intended to do, and Trump will become the eventual nominee. They'll take their chances beating Trump more than they will their chances in, in defeating DeSantis. What DeSantis needs to do is stay on this course of disassembling the government, but also pardons. I mean, I think it's time for DeSantis. I mean, I, I know he, you know, you, you don't want to make that commitment early. I mean, I understand that. That's something that probably makes him uncomfortable. But but I think he's going to have to address who he pardons and who he doesn't, who he investigates and who he doesn't. Um, I'm not saying weaponizing government, because it's hard to say 
you know, I'm going to equally weaponize government for the other side <laughs> right. when you're arguing to disassemble government. I think when you say disassemble, you're, you're addressing the weaponization or not of government. And I just, I mean, once again, that's McCarthy's take. Now, Bill Barr said yesterday, because we like to quote Barr here, he's pro-Trump, con-Trump, pro-Trump, con-Trump. Uh, Barr said to the Americans that believe there's a kind of a double standard of application of justice, there is. There absolutely is. There is no way to Charles's point a 47-year-old African-American could have had all that evidence presented to law enforcement and walked. I mean, prostitutes and crack and guns and losing guns near schools and, you know, unreported income. I mean, imagine a 47-year-old African-American male having the track record of Hunter Biden having and being pardoned via a plea deal. No way. No way in this world that happens, and I guess if the if the if the Democrats are intending, or if the DOJ, I mean, it's not, and and we got to get out of this DNR. I mean, this is not about Democrats and Republicans. This is insiders and outsiders. Please remember that. I mean, it's not about Republican Jim Comey or Republican Bill Barr. I mean, this this is about those who have amassed enormous influence within our government and those who are on the outside looking in. And if you're a 47-year-old African-American and you've been caught with crack and you lied to get a gun and you got a prostitute and you got, you know, a laptop with all this information on it and they're, oh, yeah, by the way, there's a couple of million dollars you got paid by a foreign government that you didn't tell us about. Uh, but he's cuffed in a nanosecond and prosecuted, mm-hmm. as we like to say, to the fullest extent of the law. Under the jail. Well, I mean, and, and African-Americans will vote more than likely 90% in favor of the Democrats. And it's a Democrat AG, it's a Democrat DOJ, it's a Democrat administration that just shows you there's an absolute and total double standard. Let's go to the phone. Jason and Marion, good morning. You're on. Good morning there, guys. Um, Ken, I was going to call you yesterday and uh, ask you a question, but it was so preposterous. I told myself, well, I'm not going to waste your time. But then a couple hours after your show, I heard a clip from a podcast, and I was like, there's no way they're talking about this. So I'm going to kind of ask you it now, but I don't know if you've been paying attention to the whole Joe Rogan, RFK, and that Dr. Hortez thing on Twitter, um, but um, I've watched both the po- – or I've listened to both the podcasts where Joe Rogan had Hortez, and I think it's his name, Hortez. It is. And RF- RFK um, on the podcast – and RFK, they spent a lot of time talking about vaccines and the effects of vaccines on kids and autism and the COVID vaccine. And, I mean, he makes a lot of good points. And, you know, the, the rest of the podcast, they, they went to, um, you know, his uncle and his father and how JFK just wanted to smash the um, CIA into a thousand pieces because they lied to him about Cuba and all this stuff. So I think, I don't know if I would ever vote for him, but I think, I don't think he'd be a bad president. So then I had this crazy idea of what if RFK aligned forces with Trump? Now, I don't know the logistics of all that because I'm not sure if he would have to change political parties or i mean this would never happen but it's fun to just to kind of imagine just the uh the media just going in a ultimate frenzy because they already don't like trump 
and they don't really like RFK, and they aligned forces. They would do whatever they could. So, I mean, like I said, this will never happen, but is it even a – because like I said, I heard this on Tim Pool. He, he kind of teased this the other day on his podcast, and I was like, there's no way. I was just thinking about this, and then he's talking about it. It was kind of scary, actually. And can I, can I, let me get your take on that and just think, am I way out of my league here, or is it even a slight – Slim possibility. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. Let me, JFK is selling suspicion. RFK. RFK, I'm sorry. Yeah. RFK is selling suspicion. I mean, he's, 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 he's telling the American public, the government's not to be trusted. They're, they're not telling you the truth about uh, the vaccine. I mean, a lot of what we talked this morning, the double standard, the, um, the way they treat certain people and don't treat um, other segments of our population. That's why JFK has got to 20% in the Democrat primary because there are a lot of Democrats. They're, they're not as exuberant as we Republicans are right now, but he's kind of a conspiracy theory candidate. Trump's not a conspiracy theory candidate, but but he instills a high degree of suspicion in the government. So um, RFK Jr. is the suspicion-oriented candidate of the Democrats, and it just shows you, I mean, if, let's say RFK's got 20% and Trump's got 50%. But that means roughly 70% of the voters in America are willing to consider someone who says, as their primary feature, the government is not to be trusted. I mean, what does that say about American democracy? What does that say about the representative republic? I mean, we've historically trusted to do the best they could at equally applying the law at, you know, the um, whether you get you know treated with a vaccine or not. So 70% of Americans are, are, are keenly interested in a candidate who says, once again, as their central campaign issue, this government is not to be trusted. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number as we continue to try to make heads or tails of what exactly um, to make of the Hunter Biden um, I'm calling it a pardon. <laughs> it's officially that's a pretty plea good. deal. Um, I think Charles made an interesting point. I think a lot of uh, Rujan made an interesting point. You know, is this the same thing that would happen to a 47-year-old um, non-kid or a kid who's not the kid of a former president, uh, excuse me, a current president, former vice president, a former member of the U.S. Senate? Uh, that speculation, hypothetical, we don't know. I don't know exactly what would have happened um, had Rev been charged with those crimes or I've been charged um, with those crimes. It would have been in jail. I, I, I do believe this. I mean, I believe the one person in my life that I would consider privileged, um, and he said his father told him privilege has a price. I do ascribe to that. I mean, I, I do believe that there's a, uh, when you have certain advantages that others don't have, you got to be very sensitive of it and careful with it. I mean, I I do believe that. Um, How many people have been charged with gun crimes? A lot. How many people have been charged with tax crimes? A lot. Um, How many people have been given the same sort of treatment that Hunter Biden has been given? I don't know. I mean, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I'm more interested in the oversight committee. I never felt that the FBI or the DOJ we're going to get to the bottom of it. I mean, I just didn't. I never felt like um, you could trust him because I'm not very <laughs> trusting of the government, to be honest with you. So, um, I mean, if you're if you're innately or if you're inherently not trusting of the government, why would you trust the government to prosecute the kid of a president 
um, as he would anybody else. I mean, I think that's kind of an insane mm-hmm. point of perspective to have or argument to try. Well, and, if you uh, and believe make- that, that they're weaponizing FBI and DOJ and Merrick Garland has an ax to grind and, you know, they're they're doing things they shouldn't be doing, um, then, yeah, it's easy to believe. But and, and, and those who are taken aback, you know, by, by the, the misapplication or – or, um, or you know, just the uh, the unequal application of justice. Right. I've always put my faith, and you know, maybe this is where. And, and I don't put my face in the Mitt Romneys of the world. I mean, it's kind of a, it's such an unfair battle. And I told Rev this morning before we went on the air. You know, there's a road that leads to Montana and Wyoming, and there's a road a road that leads to the Great Fight. And um, and I would probably be less inclined to go down the road of the Great Fight, however honorable it may be. Because, you know, you got every Democrat circling the wagon. You got about 20 to 25% of the Republicans who think this is nonsense. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're, um, they're as opposed to America first, not as a political ideology, but rather a political movement as the Democrats are. And when I read the National Review, which is kind of a, um, I mean, you would expect that to be somewhat of a safe haven for Republican conservative voters. It, it's a, it's about two out of ten who say you know orange man bad. I mean I'm paraphrasing here, but orange man uh, bad, orange man bad. I've given my opinion uh, the best I know how for an hour and thirty minutes. I want to hear someone else who um kind of sort of does this for a living. Oh, political strategist, co-founder of FreePressFail.com. Corinne Clark is with us. Corinne, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing good. I hope you are, too. So I've tried to understand, obviously, the charges, the tax charges, um, the gun charges. But to me, the greater point of conversation is, is there a double-tier, two-standard justice system in America or not? Am I barking up the right tree? Yeah, I'm completely with you. And I think the charges only contribute to the idea of a two-tier justice system that we have been talking about for at least the last six years, but they could not make it more obvious that they they think there's another system for people who are closely connected with elites like Joe Biden. So, Corrine, what are we to do? I mean, if you and I believe that there have been proper sentences and improper sentences on tax charges, on gun charges, but you believe as sincerely as I do that there is a double standard. And the government does a lot of things. They don't do anything more important than applying justice. What do we do about that? Well, I, I think we're seeing a lot of people finally wake up to this. I, it took us years to realize that this has been going on. And I think they revealed their hands a lot with the Trump administration. Um, when I, I think they were probably doing this for a long time, but they were operating a little more in the dark. And now it's come to light. And we see people are fed up with it. That's why we see Trump's numbers continue to rise. I think there will be some kind of referendum on this double, this two-tier justice system at the next election. Um, And we just have to be so loud that they couldn't possibly silence us anymore. So is our hope in the House Oversight Committee, I mean, I made a recommendation this morning. Who am I? But I made a recommendation this morning that I would subpoena this morning. I mean, if I chair the Oversight Committee, I would subpoena the bank records of Hunter Biden from 17 and 18 to send a loud and clear message to not only the Bidens, but the people in general that we're not done with this yet. The DOG, the DOJ may have reached a deal, but, but we're still pursuing um, justice. Absolutely. And Speaker McCarthy was out last night and he was saying that this is not going to interfere with any of the investigations that the House is doing into the Biden family. 
But what I think is happening right now is the Department of Justice thinks they can distract the American public with this news so that when they so they can say, like, oh, he's charged. We did everything. Our due diligence has been done. And when the House starts talking about stuff that they found, they're like, wait, uh, wasn't Hunter Biden already investigated? Didn't isn't this already done? They're trying to wear us out. So we're not ready to hear the news when the House Oversight Committee comes out with the bombshells that we know are there. Well explained. Corrine, thank you for your time. Have a great day. Thank you so much. And um, I mean, that just you hear from different people. We'll have Ryan Schmelz with us um, later in the day. Uh, 8.05, I think Ryan will be with us from our nation's capital. Some of the chatter um, about what's happening here. But but I want to go back to, I'm not saying forget the gun charges. Forget the tax charges. Um, the most attention needs to be paid to the reality now i mean not 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 the assumption not not the estimation but rather the reality that there are two systems of justice there are one for those who are uh, insiders and there are one for those who are outsiders um tucker made the argument yesterday um similar to paul manafort remember manafort did not register that he was lobbying for a foreign government I mean, it's, it's, I think it's NARA, N-A-R. Is there some, you know, imagine the government having an acronym, but there's some acronym that you've got to fill out a form saying, I am now, you know, working on behalf of a foreign government. I mean, it's obvious Tucker was, excuse me, Tucker. It's obvious Hunter was working for a foreign government and he never disclosed that information. And that's, uh, that's a violation. And Washington proper says one thing they're going to be vigilant about is making sure they're aware and monitoring and policing those who are, you know, working on behalf of foreign of foreign governments. They can't do that, guys, because half the people in Washington are being paid in some way, shape, or form by a foreign government. I mean, it's the notion of globalism. It's the notion of free and fair trade. I mean, it's um, a billion to Ukraine, a billion to, to this country, 20 billion over here. You know, are we sending um, fighter jets or not? Are we sending military armaments or not? Um, I mean, you know, I, I would imagine 25% of people who work in Washington, and I'm not talking about government employees. I don't think we've got there yet. I'm talking about independent contractors and consultants. The majority of those as clients probably have a foreign government. So, so the, the, you know, the, um, the legislative body decided that the American people deserve to know who's working on behalf of foreign governments. Paul Manafort was working for a foreign government and didn't disclose that. He went to prison. He went to prison. I mean, one of the one of the chief charges was working for a foreign government, not filling out the proper documentation to inform people that you're working for a foreign government. How was Hunter Biden not working for a foreign government? Of course he's working mm-hmm. for foreign governments. Did he ever register as an agent or not? I mean, we've not gotten there yet. I don't think he's been charged with that crime. I mean, the, 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 the crimes are 17, 18 tax returns and, you know, the gun charge, the... um. The false statement to obtain a firearm, ten-year felony, and um, well, it's not a plea deal. It's 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 a pardon. And Andy McCarthy may be right. It is so in your face that you've got no choice but to vote for Donald Trump. And they believe they lose to to, to DeSantis seven and a half out of ten times. They lose to Biden. Excuse me. They lose to Trump four out of ten times. Maybe five out of ten times. They'll take their chances because if you think about it, guys. Right track, wrong track, president's approval rating, unemployment number, debt. I mean, there's nothing to run on. Somebody said yesterday, Biden doesn't have a, a campaign staff. I mean, what does he run on? 
I mean, what, what I didn't fall down today. <laughs> I didn't say save the queen man today. I mean, really and truly, what does Joe Biden run on? And why would anybody with any degree of sanity vote for Joe Biden again? I can tell you why, because he's not Donald Trump. And that's what they're banking on. So, so I'm a little bit in McCarthy's camp. And McCarthy says this plea deal is so egregious, we like to quote McCarthy. Because we we refer to him as a guy who does a pretty good job of calling balls and strikes. I mean, you don't agree with him all the time. Nobody does. But we think he does a pretty decent job of calling balls and strikes. He says that Trump has no defense for some of these charges and accusations levied against him in the in the indictment and arraignment. I mean, he does. He says, you know, some of the things Trump says are just nonsense. I mean, they're absolute nonsense in trying to defend this charge or that charge or another charge. But he also says that this is one of the most egregious plea bargains he has ever seen. I mean, he doesn't say it's a pardon. I mean, that's kind of my word, but he strongly suggests that it is indeed a pardon. Let's go to the phone. John in Virginia. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. How y'all doing today? Hey, John. I've I got a few comments, but as far as this plea deal, how is this going to stack up with everybody else now when Joe Blow gets charged with tax evasion or gun crime, and they're going to go back to, hey, look at Hunter. See, I mean, <laughs> and, and I mean, everything's going to go back to the Hunter deal. Another thing you were talking about, uh, RFK, I was watching an interview with him the other day, and he was basically saying that his dad told him point blank that the CIA killed his uncle. And, and like you said about the com- conspiracy theory, he was, I mean, he was, he was throwing it out there pretty good. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. The, the, the problem with RFK, I mean, it, 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 he's got these pretty liberal stances on the climate. Um, I mean, he's got this spasmodic dysphonia, you know, that, that drives people crazy. I mean, I know he wishes he didn't have that. It, it's, it's kind of a, um, it's a, it's a, a random spasm of the vocals, I mean, it, and, and I mean, it's, it's spasmodic, it's phony, is what it's official. Because I actually googled it when I said, "What the hell's wrong with him?" I mean, <laughs> it's hard to listen to, and, and it's got to be hard to speak that way. But but he does it, and and you know, you kind of get used to it after a, a moment or two. But um, but but the reason RFK is an interesting political actor today is his suspicion of government. That seems to be the theme of where we are, and and I love it. I mean, it's where we need to be. I mean, it, you know, more Americans who are untrusting. I mean, how many times have I said this? And I, and I probably get a little bit in, you know, I mean, sponsors probably cringe when I say this. But but I, I think I have to. If I don't do anything in the four hours I'm on the radio every morning, I hope I convince you to be a little less trusting of your federal government. I didn't say your local government. I didn't say your state government. I mean, I think they deserve to be, um, you know, I think you deserve to be a little bit, uh, concerned about what local government does and why they do it and state government and why they do it. But the power resides in Washington. Uh, I mean, the, the majority of influences we live under come from Washington. I understand local government has uh, the ability to affect your life and school boards. And we're talking about tax increases and, and you know, water districts and general assemblies. I mean, I accept all that, but I don't think there is out of control. I don't think there's bought and paid for as the federal government is and that's where the yin and yang is. You got we the people, and then you've got you know them the um the contributors, 
And at times, those interests are at odds. I mean, we the people would rather our government not get as involved in foreign affairs, but but they the contractors, they the consultants, they the lobbyists, I mean, that's what they're paid to do. They're paid to steer money, direct influence in one direction or another. I mean, why does a foreign company hire the son of a former vice president? I mean, he has no degree of expertise, but he can gain access. And access to important people in Washington is immensely and enormously valuable. And, and that's probably the best investment some of these companies could make. Um, why do you pay Hunter Biden $2 million a year just to grant access to your father who's the vice president? I'll tell you the right answer because it makes a lot of sense because of some of the best money you could ever spend. And someone said, well, the vice president didn't do anything. Uh, having access is a big deal. I mean, did we not believe the vice president could pick up a phone and call the chair of a subcommittee or a committee or a prominent senator or house member and say, hey, I need you to meet with this person. They've got this issue that involves our federal government. And I mean, th- there's a lot to be talked about. I mean, that, that, those are important um, and behind-the-scenes conversations that we should be unbelievably suspicious of because they're not in the best interest of the American people. They're in the best interest of those who are writing big checks, gaining access, and, and influence over the body politic. Take a break. Back in a few. Hour number three, 843-661-0937 is our number. The first couple of hours obviously have been um, largely about the uh, the uh, the plea deal that I refer to. Now, I'm being a hack. You ready? You want me to be a 100% hack? Mm-hmm. Not a plea deal. It's a pardon. Hunter Biden <laughs> was pardoned that. by the DOJ for what he for what he did. Anyway, I want to get a more journalistic take on this. Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. Ryan, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you, sir? I am well. So you would expect a um, a conservative radio show hack like yours truly <laughs> to provoke as much of a response as he possibly can. But but in all honesty, Ryan, and I mean this sincerely, I do this four hours a day, five days a week. I'm reading what you guys have to write, what the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Politico, The Hill. I mean, you can't imagine how much we read to try and prepare for this show. And it was hard to find a lot of reporting about the Hunter Biden investigation. Um, now we know there's a plea deal. He's accepted responsibility for some tax violations and um, false statement to obtain a firearm. Kind of give me the journalistic take on it. Right. So so we're looking at two counts here for possession of a firearm. Have you probably been, or, I'm sorry, possession of uh, or the uh, tax evasion, which you probably talked about. So that goes back to court documents that allege that he failed to pay more than 200000 in federal income taxes from 2017 to 2018. And we're likely looking at possible probation for those taxes. But I think the one that really stands out here is this gun charge, because, you know, typically this would have a maximum penalty of about 10 years in jail. Now, of course, with this plea agreement, there are definitely ways for Hunter Biden to avoid jail time. But ultimately, he's going to have a lot of different, you know, tasks that he's going to have to go through with, such as drug testing, as well as other checkups to avoid, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, relapsing or, or anything like that. And, and ultimately, if he violates any of that, this jail time could very much be revisited for Hunter Biden. So certainly there are still some serious penalties he could be facing if, in fact, he violates whatever's agreed to with, uh, w- with, with this plea agreement. But, Ryan, it adds fuel to the fire that there's a double standard. Bill Barr said yesterday, and I think Barr's done a pretty good job of calling balls and strikes. Andy McCarthy at National Review and Fox News has done a pretty good job of calling 
balls and strikes. They're not supportive of everything Trump says or does. They're not, you know, disparaging everything he says or does. But Bill Barr said something yesterday that I found very interesting. He said, for those who suspect there's a double standard, there is. And I'm an insider. Oh, yes. He said, I've been in, in, in this machine for most of my adult life. How do we explain to the American people that our government picks and chooses, you know, how it applies justice? That's dangerous to a representative republic. Right, certainly. And you're starting to hear a lot of that double standard argument being made, whether it's in Congress or like with Bill Barr, like you just mentioned. Um, and, you know, certainly I think we probably do need to consider that this was a U.S. attorney who was appointed by the Trump administration. And, uh, you know, uh, the DOJ under the Biden administration has, has not has pretty much refused to touch his position. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's been uh, investigating Hunter Biden since 2018. And obviously that would have a, pr a pretty interesting look if, in fact, he were to remove him while he's investigating the president's son. But you're hearing a lot from Republicans here on the Hill, you know, who've been investigating the Biden family. You have uh, James Comer, who's the chairman of the Oversight Committee, who said that this is only going to, you know, their, their investigation's only going to continue after this. But, you know, he's re reiterating a lot of those comments you hear, such as slap on the wrist, sweetheart deal uh and also a two-tier justice system and and speaker mccarthy when he was taking questions from the press yesterday reiterated a lot of those comments too very well explained ron thank you for your time have a great day hey you too thank you that's kind of an interesting report from inside um the beltway from what i've gathered i don't have sources but i read um certain uh you know interesting uh reporters who i think do a better job than others. This is in no way, shape, or form affect negatively or positively the oversights and the oversight committee's investigation. I mean, they're still on track. I, I'm giving advice. I mean, if somebody knows Comer and, and, and knows how to get in touch with Comer, I'm Lincoln Russell for um, and listens to the show, <laughs> I, I would strongly encouraging uh, or encourage the House Oversight subpoena the 2017-28 tax returns of Hunter Biden. I think it establishes that we're looking into those years in particular. And remember we talked about $10 million? I mean, that's kind of been the number bandied about. Nobody, and this is speculation. I mean, I want to, for clarity's sake, th this is an accusation made. I've, I've seen no evidence. Um, I've heard evidence, but I've, I've not seen the bank records. I've not seen the paper trail. I've not seen the suspicious activity reports that the Oversight Commission requested of Treasury that led them down this road of believing the Bindens have laundered money in 11 different banks via 15 or 20 LLCs. I mean, I'm taking Comer at his word. If he's a liar, he's a liar. If he's telling the truth, Biden's got bigger problems than a gun charge and and um, and some sort of um, plea deal with a uh, you know tax issue that he cleared up and 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 the gun charge. Um, and 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 maybe uh, the the central argument here is. The Republicans have control of the Oversight Committee, so they can, to some degree, investigate. And, and I think the Oversight Committee is investigating as aggressively as they are, trying to put pressure on DOJ and the FBI. I mean, I, I, would, I would like to believe, maybe I'm wrong, I'd like to believe that Comer keeps that information um, to himself or to the committee if he believes the DOJ and FBI are honestly investigating what happened in 17, 18, 19, um, 20. But I think when Comer and his um, confidants on the oversight committee lost faith in the FBI and DOJ to do an honest day's work trying to find out exactly how the Bidens got paid. Because at the end of the day, that's the story. I mean, obviously, the story of the morning is Biden, you know, um, 
filling out a, um, a false form. I mean, in other words, he filled out, made a false statement in obtaining a firearm. I mean, that's the, that's the charge. I mean, that's a 10 year felony and, um, and he's getting a light sentence in regards to that. Um, it, the, the hypocrisy here is, um, while a U.S. Senator Joe Biden, um, advocated advanced legislation that criminalized if someone did falsify information when obtaining a firearm, um, and it's not the, you know, inside the, um, inside the, the industry, it's called lie and try. In other words, I falsified information. I made a false statement trying to obtain a firearm. I tried and I didn't get the gun. I mean, the background check revealed something that I didn't include in the, um, in the statement I filled out, but, but that's not what he did. He didn't try and, 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 and he didn't lie and try. He lied and succeeded. I mean, he, he, um, he made a false statement. He obtained the firearm. They lost the firearm or disposed of the firearm um, in some dumpster near near a schoolhouse. Mm. Um, schoolhouse? What is that? Um, a school. <laughs> Would you say school these yeah. days? Yes. Well, I mean, when I was schoolhouse, my kids look at me like, okay, okay. Um, when were you born? The 20s? <laughs> um, but, but anyway, near, near a school. Um, and uh, there, there's some, uh, there, there's some uh, questioning of whether Biden lost the gun or Haley Biden. Who was Haley Biden? Haley Biden was married to Bo Biden. Bo Biden dies of cancer. Haley Biden, I guess, loved the Bidens so much that she became Hunter Biden's lover. Now, now Josh has a theory there on Haley Biden. Josh, your theory with Haley is? I think she likes those LLCs. She likes that LLC mm. is what um sounds like a yeah. rap song. Yeah. <laughs> got to have an LLC if you're going to be with me. Right, and the old song got to have a job. Yeah, if you got to have a job, if you're gonna be with me, no. Haley Biden says got to have an LLC. Man, I didn't uh, expect yeah. that from you. That was good. Because <laughs> oh. you don't think I pay any attention to that kind of no. um that, that that kind of um pop culture. No, that was good. Well, I hear that on the periphery. I don't. I, got I don't you. invest much time with that. But but I hear on the periphery um those sorts of things. So yeah, Haley Biden would have been. Got to have an LLC if you want to be with me. And Hunter Biden had the LLCs, and Joe Biden had the LLCs. And well, excuse me, let, let's be clear: the big guy had some LLCs or go. some interest in in LLCs. So you got Joe Biden, you got Hunter. Excuse me, let, let's be accurate: you got Jim Biden, you got Joe, you got Hunter Biden, you got Haley Biden, you got a grandkid of the Bidens that had an LLC, or actually, um, the grandkid I don't think was an owner of the LLC. The grandkid had an offshore bank account where certain funds from certain governments, Ukraine and China in particular, made their way into. Well, I mean, that's, that's fairly common of, um, you know, grandchildren of politicians. They have offshore bank accounts. Yeah, everybody does it. Where, sure. where you know, uh, wire money is wired into those bank accounts yeah. from Romanian, Ukrainian, and Chinese sure. um, government government companies <laughs> or government state-run companies. Um, and so, 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 so Jim Comer, this morning... Uh, I don't know what time today, but they're having the public hearing with John Durham. They had the private hearing. The Intelligence Committee had the private hearing yesterday. The Oversight Committee will have the public hearing today. It'll be very interesting to see what James Durham says. It'll be very interesting. But but I don't believe it's just about 16, 17. Because in, excuse me, 17 and 18. In the year 17 and 18, I mean, Hunter Biden was pardoned yesterday for um, you know, I, I guess not properly disclosing income and paying taxes. He has since paid the taxes. So, so it's really kind of concerning to me. Why did it take 
a year and a half after he admitted responsibility because he paid the taxes. It takes another year and a half to investigate. And we end up, mm-hmm. you know, um, charging him with something he admitted he did nearly a couple of years ago. Because once again, we were told he took out a personal loan and he paid the taxes that he owed on a couple of million dollars of income. Now, now the reason I want the subpoena to the bank records, because I think that plays into this narrative. I think the, the 2 million that he didn't disclose as income in 17 and 18 are inclusive of the 10 million that Comer says they can track or nearly 10 million. They can track in these 15 LLCs and 11, um, 11 banks that they were dealing with. And it was co- quite complicated. I mean, from what I've read, once again, speculation, but from, from what I've read, the money would go to the bank. Um, the bank would disperse the funds to some of the LLCs. Some of the LLCs would disperse money to other LLCs, and they would use this bank for a month or two or three, and then they would use another bank for a month or two or three. And Comer's making the accusation that somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 million from foreign governments or foreign corporations to companies owned by Hunter Biden, those companies, uh, the money would go to the bank account of that company. That company would disperse incrementally to the LLCs. Some of the LLCs would make another disbursement to other LLCs. In other words, Barisma. I mean, I'm being hypothetical here. Barisma makes a, uh, you know, Barisma wires money to um, Bank Born of USA. Bank Born of USA disperses the money to seven LLCs. Seven LLCs disperse money to five other LLCs. We believe that that's how, I mean, that's, uh, you call it, I mean, it's money laundering is now, what now it maybe is. Maybe that's why Joe Biden said he thought Hunter was the smartest man he knows, because he figured out how to do all of that. Well, and he figured out a way to sleep with his brother's ex-wife. I mean, that's, well, yeah, that's, there's that. That's quite the accomplishment <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. That's real. I mean, I, can I use the word? That's a bit nasty, isn't it? I mean, just the thought of that. I mean, once again, I don't slack. know inside the Biden family, and I don't want to get personal here. And this is not about Hunter Biden. I mean, it's about Hunter Biden today because Biden's being um, pardoned for crimes he committed uh, with his plea deal. Andy McCarthy has a theory. We, we like to refer to Barr and McCarthy as fair arbiters, honest brokers. Um, Barr said yesterday, I'll try to find the clip if you haven't heard it, but Barr said to all those, or I think the question was, what do you tell all those people out there who believe there's a double standard? There's a two-tier justice system. He said, there is. I mean, there absolutely is. But, but Brev, didn't we say last week there always has been? Mm-hmm. I mean, didn't Hunter Biden the latest example? I mean, he's not the only example. He's not the first example of a, um, a prominent family, a wealthy family, someone with the ability to hire a prestigious and influential law firm getting a fair shake than somebody else. Um, but, but it is interesting, and I think Charles made kind of an interesting comparison. Take Hunter Biden and everything he's done and all the evidence we have and say he's not the four. Is he 57? Uh, uh, he's in his 50s, yeah, right? I think, yeah. Okay. He's, he's in his 50s. Imagine him as an African American, not son of a former president. I mean, just kind of wonder where we end up. I mean, let's get to speculation. You don't know. I don't know, but it's easy to speculate. If, if an African American, if a 50 year old African American, were found guilty of the things Hunter Biden was found guilty of. We had all the evidence we have. Um, do you believe that the laptop would not have been a part of it? I mean, if they're prosecuting an African-American 
or, or, or some poor white kid. I mean, some white kid that doesn't have any ability to influence the process, doesn't know anybody to call. Remember, I've said this is, you know, over and over again. I learned in politics, it's not protocol, but who to call. Hunter Biden knew exactly who to call. Joe Biden knows exactly who to call. Protocol says he should be in a lot worse trouble than he is. But who to call trumped, no pun intended, <laughs> protocol as it normally does. But I think we got to be real careful and not try to insinuate that this is the only and first time justice has not been applied equally. Historically, we've expected certain people to get treated a certain way. Others get treated a very different sort of way. It's a travesty. It doesn't um, condone it, but but it's the way the world works. But but I'm not interested in Hunter Biden falsifying information, uh, applying for a gun. I, I'm not interested in Hunter Biden's, um, you know, not filing properly this $2 million of income. I'm interested in the $10 million that Jim Comer says he can trace to 15 LLCs, 11 banks, and a number of foreign um, government-sponsored businesses. They were trying to gain access. I mean, that's influence peddling. I mean, that, that's about as scummy as it is to use your prominence or position in politics to sell your country down the river, to help a foreign nation gain an advantage over the American political system. I mean, that's, to me, I hope that's where we end up because I believe with every fiber of my being they're guilty. I think they are 100% guilty of political prostitution. But I mean, that's a real fancy way of saying, you know, pay to play, selling access, peddling influence. I, I just think the Bidens are that personified. 843-661-0937. Let's take a break. We'll be back. Got a caller. We'll get there uh, on the other side. 843-661-0937. Our number, a couple of callers on the phone. Let's go there. Breeze, good morning. You're on. Hey, guys, here's my question, kid. Uh, does Joe Biden really have the power to do this? Does anybody really listen to him? And why are they, why would they, why are they even bothering to protect Hunter? I mean, the point I'm making is Hunter is of no use to, no, Hunter Biden's of no use to anybody. Everybody can see that. I mean, there's, and Joe Biden is be lucky to be alive in two years. So there is something behind, there are people behind a closed door that we don't know about. There's something more to this. In other words, why would you risk any political, What? why would you do anything for Hunter Biden and Joe Biden at this point? I mean, do the Democrats really want Joe Biden to run for president again? What is their end game? Because Joe Biden is not the leader of this country. We need to quit acting like he is. Joe Biden, I mean, for them, somebody else told the Justice Department and somebody else told the, the federal prosecutor to cut this deal. Joe Biden may have called, but somebody, it'd be like, it'd be like Dave calling up and asking me for a favor. And then uh, and Dave hadn't got any real power. You know, Dave is just this old man that can't do nothing. Then I call you up, kid, and say, hey, kid, uh, Baker's calling up asking for a favor. What should I do? And you say, Breeze, you got to cut you the favor because it's going to help me down the road with A, B, C, D. But I think this thing is far deeper than just that old crony, you know, just you know, rich, a rich white kid who's the son of a president getting basically a pardon. There's more to it than this. 
I don't know if I'm articulating it, but you see what I'm kind of trying to say? Well, what you're saying, thank you, Breeze. What you're saying, and I'll agree with this, what you're saying basically is if you want to use government for your advantage, but you don't want the bright light shining on you, what better way than to find somebody not very smart, now all of a sudden a bit senile and compromised? I mean, if you, if you want the power and, and influence, but not the not the bright lights or being in the hot seat, I mean, imagine that, guys. And I think, I mean, we, we've said this. I mean, there are unbelievably powerful people in this country who fly under the radar. Larry Fink likes to do that. I mean, he's the CEO of BlackRock. Larry Fink, I mean, he goes on CNBC because he knows there's not many uh, rabid voters. I mean, that, that would be a more... Uh, that's people who want to see what their stocks are doing, what the portfolio are doing. Uh, you know, it makes them feel a little smarter to know they aren't listening to the morning news or some conservative talk radio show. I mean, you're 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 watching nonsense, but but it is what it is. And I just think people, it's always interesting to me the audience of CNBC and Bloomberg. I mean, they you know knows a little bit higher in the air, yeah, a little bit more proud of their accomplishments. Uh, but but you're being. I mean, if you believe that nonsense. Then you should certainly believe what conservative talk radio says. In other words, if you don't believe CNBC is motivated by an agenda and, and not the truth, then, you know, it is what it is. But, but anyway, th- there's a snootiness about some people that like to say, well, I saw on CNBC or I read on Bloomberg. Um, well, I mean, of course you did. Somebody's paying for them uh, to say something or they've been compensated to say something else. But, but imagine if you are the CEO of BlackRock or, or you are the CEO of Burisma. I mean, and and you want to you want to utilize. I didn't say weaponize. You want to utilize government to your advantage. You, you want to take government policy, edict, order, and create advantages in the economy that allow you to be unbelievably um, overpaid. There's a good way to say it: unbelievably overcompensated. Um, and the government can help you do that. Remember the um kind of my, my utopia. And, and government slash economy is when everybody gets exactly what they deserve. I don't know how to get there. But, but it's just kind of a utopian, I mean, that would be my John Lennon, imagine. Imagine an economy where everybody gets a proportionate and fair share of what they contribute. Teachers get paid X. School, um, school administrators get paid Y. Radio show hosts get paid Z. Um, truck body manufacturing, uh, people who weld truck bodies together get paid, whatever. That commiserate value. Whatever you contribute to the economy, you get paid proportionally. Now, once again... That's utopia. Doesn't exist. Will never exist. But it's something I like hypothesizing about. What would a plumber make in a perfectly ordered economy? What would a school teacher make in a perfectly ordered economy? What would um, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company make in a perfectly ordered economy? But the people that are trying to influence government don't want a perfectly ordered government. That they want more than they're entitled to. I mean, that's the nature of capitalism. I, you know, it operates on greed and fear. And when you're, when you're not afraid, you're exercising um, greed. Well, well, a lot of people have figured out the best way to be greedy and get greedy and capitalize on greed is to kind of position government a certain way. Uh, pulling the ladder up is something we frequently use on this show, creating some sort of distortion in the marketplace, in the free economy, the free market that allows this business to have an advantage over um, other businesses or this sector to have an advantage over over another sector. Well, if you're motivated by that, I mean, if you're a capitalist and you want to make as much money as you possibly can and the government has certain authority over your sector of the economy, why would you try to influence 
uh, what that authority is. And if you're trying to influence, what better way to influence than have, once again, a president who's not very smart, he's in serious cognitive decline, and now he's compromised. I mean, the family's compromised. I mean, that, to me, that's the perfect recipe. I mean, if I'm running a company and my company makes X and my company can make X plus 50% if the government would only do something. And, and I believe that, um, that this guy, I mean, Dave Baker's got a consulting lobbying firm and, 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 and Rev knows Hunter Biden and Rev knows the Bidens and Rev knows a lot of the leadership of the House and Senate. Then, then why wouldn't I hire that guy? And, and why, I mean, if I've got a, if I've got a, a president with very little principle, very little IQ, cognitive de- in serious cognitive decline, and now he's compromised, what is the likelihood, is it less likely or more likely that I get my way? And that's kind of what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Money's the answer. Now, what's the question? And I think that's what Breeze is trying to articulate. It's not about Hunter Biden. It's not about Joe Biden. It's about this enormous economy and who gets to gain more than uh, they contribute. Uh, many Americans, and, and here's where we, we get this great disconnect. The majority of Americans want a fair shake, right? I mean, you want a fair shake. I want a fair shake. Um, all of a sudden, you get a taste of what it's like to get a, a better than fair shake. You get a little bit of taste of, um, wow, I'm making, I mean, I was making a half million dollars a year. Now the government's done all these things, created all these advantages, created all these um, you know, recipes for success. I'm still doing exactly what I did do, but I'm making $3 million a year. I mean, what is the likelihood that when the opportunity comes to keep it like it is or revert back to how it was, that you say, no, I want it to be the way it was when I made a half million dollars a year? Because that's about what I'm worth. I mean, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's more than 99.9% of the world will ever make. But all of a sudden, at 500000 you can't have your own helicopter to house in the Hamptons. At $3 million, you can and you like that house in the Hamptons. You like that that private helicopter you've got. And and you realize now that distorting government, that gaining government favor is unbelievably um, and lucratively, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a quite the successful lifestyle. So so when you take, when you're making a half million and you go to three million because of some distortion of policy the government passes, um, why wouldn't you be motivated to give money to Dave Baker for him to talk to Hunter Biden, who will talk to Joe Biden? And and what advantage? Isn't it easier? I mean, when Rev says to me, "Hey, man, this president's principled. Now, but this president's disciplined. This president's smart. This president's competent. This president's on top of things. This president has a cabinet full of people who aren't going to let him make a mistake. I mean, it's less likely that Rev gets that distortion to the market that he like." But, but if Rev wants to help this business owner create this distortion and manipulation uh, of the marketplace and the president is not real sharp, the president is a bit aloof. He's, um, he's never been the sharpest knife in the drawer, and everybody kind of knows that. But all of a sudden, he's in cognitive decline, and he's compromised. What is the likelihood of him you know, um, saying, no, I'm not doing that. I don't want to be a part of that. I mean, it's far more likely some surrogate, some subordinate within the White House um, gives him exact so so I mean Rev I mean excuse me Breeze is right I mean this is much bigger than the Bidens I mean this is kind of the double standard and the double standard extends to it doesn't just stop at the application of justice I mean the double standard do you believe people make 
enormous contributions to political campaigns and political action committees so democracy will be preserved. I mean, do you believe that they're so patriotic? They see American decline, and they've got a lot of money, the ability to contribute money, and they give money to a political action committee. And the political action committee in, in, in the process of luring votes has a, um, a flag waving in the wind. And, you know, it, 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 it's symbolism 101. It's America the Great and America the Beautiful, shining city on a hill. And, you know, the voters kind of buy into that. When, when you know, kind, kind of the, uh, the underside, the soft side of the underbelly is totally different than that. So, so, yes, it's much bigger than $2 million at Hunter Biden. It is our government operating in a way that advantages those who pay for those advantages and those of us who, you know, just kind of, um, well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be an American. I wanted to go there in the lottery the day I was born an American. Well, you did. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Could have been born in a cave in Afghanistan, you know, dodging scud missiles. I mean, that really sucks. So, so to some degree, we've kind of accepted our, um, our infringements and imperfections as at least I'm not in a cave in Afghanistan dodging scud missiles. You know, that, that's kind of our salvation. And, and we should expect better of our government. We should demand more of our government. B- but it is what it is. And until enough of us are suspicious about what government's really up to, we're going to continue to get exactly what we deserve. And that has to be. And I mean this sincerely. Your, your driving interest and motivating force and who you vote for has to be bred in this high degree of suspicion you have for your federal government doing right by we the people. I mean, there's a reason we the people is a part of how we govern ourselves. We the people. I mean, how many times have we heard that? But that's not the way it is. And until we become so suspicious and untrusting, they're going to continue to operate uh, in the way they do. And Andy McCarthy's theory, I mean, it's extreme. McCarthy's not an extreme guy. But McCarthy says this is a kind of a poke at the bear. This is the thumb and the guy. This is a, um, the, yeah, he got off scot-free to some degree. I mean, the plea bargain, I call it a pardon. Andy McCarthy says that is to try and incentivize, motivate we, the, the Republican primary voters, into voting for Donald Trump again, knowing that Trump is less likely to beat Biden in 2024 than a Ron DeSantis, than a Tim Scott, that, than a, I mean, name your Republican, the Vivek Ramaswamy. I don't know. Uh, where that line is of candidates that are more or less likely to beat the Democrat. Um, but but it, it amazes me that something like this can happen and Hunter Biden can get pardoned. And if an African-American man or woman had done the same things, I mean, they, imagine the punishment that comes their way. And in November of 2024, I'll predict somewhere between 88 and 91% of African-Americans will vote for the Democrats. And this is a Democrat DOJ. I mean, this is a Democrat administration. And we saw an absolute, an absolute uh, misapplication of the rule of law. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few. 843-661-0937. Callers on the phone. We want to warn you, we may cut into Fox News coverage of the House Judiciary Committee. Jim Jordan chairing the committee. John Durham uh, publicly appearing before um, that judiciary in its full committee. Jordan Chairing. Let's go to the phone, then we may do that in progress. Jim and Sumter listening to WDXY. Hi, you're on the air. Hey, Ken. Hey, Dave. Um, I heard uh, Breeze earlier call in, and I got a different take on uh, what I think is going on. Maybe this will resonate with you. They don't want me indicted 
because they don't want my dirty laundry aired when I fight it. Now, Hunter Biden, scumbag. I imagine there probably was a conversation with his father saying something like, if I go down, you go down. And I'm imagining that Biden probably had a conversation with Obama that said something like, if I go down, you go down. What are your thoughts on that? That's kind of an interesting. I've had several people text me. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. I've had several people ask me, I mean, is this, um, is Hunter Biden a sacrificial lamb? Will Joe allow Hunter to take the fall? Um, how much coordination has this been, uh, you know, internally with the Biden family and the Obama acolytes? I mean, you know, that that's a radio show in itself. I mean, if we really want to go RFK, 100% conspiracy theorist, um, but but those are, are, to me, they're sounded conspiracy theories. I mean, they're conspiracy theories, but... um. But but they're they're Hunter Biden is not the target. I mean, I gotta believe uh, Jim Jordan, Jim Comer, they honestly and truly have accepted that Hunter Biden is a troubled man, a deeply troubled addiction, um, you know, confusion. I mean, there are a lot of things kicking in his life. And if he weren't the son of the president, and if the president wasn't getting paid via this trouble, I mean, that that's the that's the, the the controversial part of this. A lot of people have troubled kids, and they love those troubled kids unconditionally. And you do everything you can to help those troubled kids find a better way forward. But you don't allow those troubled kids to be the conduit or be the conduit into how you gain um, your income. It's just, I mean, it's inconceivable. I mean, I can't imagine a scenario that I would allow my troubled kid to be in that position because I personally or my family financially gained. I mean, I'm not some moral superhero. But I just can't imagine a scenario that, that I would allow um, that to take place. Let's do this. Um, Jim Jordan is... <laughs> Recent guest yeah, of Wake Up Carolina. Uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he's beginning the Judiciary Committee. Um, John Durham is there to appear. And as usual, Jordan gets the opening remarks. Let's go to that, uh, Josh, if you don't mind. Former Intel officials falsely falsely tell us the Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. We had a raid on President Trump's home. And of course, we got Alvin Bragg's ridiculous case in New York. Seven years, nothing has changed. Don't believe me? We interviewed Stephen D'Antuano, former head of the Washington field office when the Trump classified document case began. Mr. D'Antuano told the committee, interviewed him just two weeks ago, two weeks ago today. Mr. D'Antuano told the committee that when he asked the Department of Justice, why is there no U.S. attorney assigned to the Trump classified document case? Headquarters said, because we're running it. He suggested the Miami field office should do the raid. Instead of sending the folks from Washington field office down to Miami, have the folks in, in the Miami field office do it. Headquarters said no. He suggested there shouldn't be a raid. Instead, they should continue to work with President Trump's lawyers. Once again, headquarters said no. Mr. D'Antuano even said, how about when we get there? When we arrive at President Trump's home, we then call his lawyer and we do the search together. Again, headquarters said no. Another interesting fact, the lawyer who turned down Mr. D'Antuano's request happens to be the same person who is alleged to have pressured the attorney representing a Trump employee about a judgeship. Nothing has changed and frankly, they're never gonna stop. Seven years of attacking Trump is scary enough, but what's more frightening 
Any one of us could be next. In fact, it's already started. Parents at school board meetings are terrorists. Pro-life Catholics are extremists. Even journalists aren't safe. Federal Trade Commission, 13 letters. One of those letters to Twitter said, who are the journalists you're talking to? Think about that. They named four people personally to come and testify in front of this committee. While they're in front of this committee, Democrats are asking them to reveal their sources, violate First Amendment principles. One of them, Matt Taibbi, while he's sitting at that table testifying to the Judiciary Committee, the IRS is knocking on his door. Parents, Catholics, journalists, but guess who gets it the worst? Guess who gets it the worst? Whistleblowers. If you dare come forward and tell Congress what's going on, look out. They will come for you. They will take your clearance. They will take your pay. They'll even take your kids' clothes. Just ask Garrett O'Boyle, who testified in front of this committee as well. Over the next few hours, we're going to hear the facts and details about the whole false Trump-Russia narrative, the crossfire hurricane investigation, and hopefully, hopefully it will help change things at the Department of Justice. But regardless of what the Biden administration and the Garland Justice Department do, I know what Republicans in the House are committed to doing. We will work to dramatically change the FISA law, and we will do everything we can in the appropriations process to stop the federal government from going after the American people. Now recognize the ranking member for an opening statement. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. On June 8th, a grand jury in Miami indicted former President Trump on 37 counts related to his mishandling of extraordinarily sensitive national security information, including information regarding defense and weapons capabilities of both the United States and foreign countries, United States nuclear programs, potential vulnerabilities of the United States and its allies to military attack, and plans for possible retaliation in response to a foreign attack. According to the indictment, the unauthorized disclosure of these classified documents could put at risk the national security of the United States, foreign relations, the safety of the United States military, and human sources, and the continued viability of sensitive intelligence collection methods. And indeed, the indictment goes on to describe how the former president made such unauthorized disclosures. Even if you believe, as Chairman Jordan claims, that President Trump has committed no crime, Surely we can agree that it is dangerous and profoundly irresponsible to have taken these documents from the White House and left them unsecured in Mar-a-Lago. Don't take just my word for it. Trump's Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, said that the former president's handling of this information put U.S. service members' lives and our national security at risk. And Trump's hand-picked Attorney General, Bill Barr, with whom I agree on very little, hit the nail on the head when he described the former president's legal troubles as, quote, entirely of his own making. He had no right to these documents. The government tried for over a year, quietly and with respect, to get them back, and he jerked them around. When he faced a subpoena, he didn't raise any legal arguments. He engaged in a course of deceitful conduct that was a clear crime if those allegations are true, close quote. The former president could have at any time for months, simply returned the documents and avoided prosecution. 
But House Republicans do not want to talk about any of that. They seem incapable of assigning any agency or responsibility to Donald Trump for problems that are Trump's and Trump's alone. Instead, Republicans have planned this hearing and constructed an entire false narrative around this work of special counsel Durham in an effort to distract from the former president's legal troubles and mislead the American public. To be clear, the Durham report is by itself a deeply flawed vessel. After four years, thousands of employee hours, and more than six and a half million dollars in taxpayer dollars, special Dur counsel Durham failed to uncover any wrongdoing that Justice Department Inspector General Horowitz had not already found in 2019. He brought just two cases to trial and lost them both. Both defendants were acquitted in mere hours. The single conviction that Special Counsel Durham obtained involved a single charge of lying to the FBI, a case developed and handed to him by the Inspector General, and one resolved by a quick plea bargain. The report itself outlined some fairly glaring investigative missteps. The FBI apparently never even looked at a thumb drive of key evidence related to allegations of contact between the Trump campaign and the Russian government via a Russian cell phone. Nor, says the report, did the FBI ever examine questionable computer contacts between the Trump Organization and Alpha Bank, one of the largest banks in Russia. The report also fails to recommend a single remedial measure that the Justice Department or the FBI might take to address certain process-related concerns, largely because DOJ and FBI have already implemented the changes recommended by the Inspector General three and a half years ago. Now, I understand that, like the former president, many MAGA Republicans had a lot riding on the Durham investigation. I understand that they might be disappointed with where it landed, but that is no excuse for making things up. First, the Durham report unequivocally concludes that the FBI not only had the evidence to open an investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, but actually had an affirmative obligation to investigate ties between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. It is simply not true, as some Republicans have claimed, that the Durham report suggests that there should not have been an investigation. Affirmative obligation. Those are Mr. Durham's words, not mine. Second, the Durham report shows that the FBI began its investigation when an aide to the Trump campaign disclosed in May 2016 that the campaign knew that Russia had thousands of emails that would embarrass Hillary Clinton. The aide bragged about it at a bar. An Australian diplomat who overheard the remark reported it, and the investigation began. It is simply not true, as the most extreme voices in this room have claimed, that the investigation was somehow launched by the Clinton campaign. That con particular conspiracy theory is off by several months. Nor is it true that the FBI was opposed to Trump from the beginning. For example, the Durham report tells us that the FBI encouraged a confidential human source to infiltrate the Clinton campaign, not the Trump campaign, and take steps to entrap, unsuccessfully, aides to Secretary Clinton. This story is right there on pages 74 and 75 of the report. I suspect we won't hear a word about it from House Republicans today because it does not fit the MAGA narrative. Finally, Nothing in the Durham report disputes the central findings of special counsel Robert Mueller. Namely, Russia interfered in the 2016 election, 
It did so to help Donald Trump, and the Trump campaign welcomed this interference. This last point is important because it tells us how Mr. Durham became special counsel in the first place, and it goes to the heart of the fully false narrative of MAGA victimhood. From the day that special counsel Mueller began his work, Donald Trump and his political allies have railed against an imagined conspiracy against the former president. The Russian investigation was a setup. It was a witch hunt. Obama did it. We need to investigate the investigators. Then came the Mueller report. The Mueller report was delivered to Attorney General Barr on Friday, March 22, 2019. The next Monday, Mr. Durham was in Barr's office. A week later, a colleague emailed Mr. Durham to ask about, quote, the project that Durham and Barr were working on. While we on this committee were fighting to get access to the Mueller report, Mr. Durham was already working on an investigation to undercut its central findings. A few weeks later, the Trump administration announced Mr. Durham's You kind of get the sentiment of um, what Jordan says and what Nadler says. I want to take a break, Josh. Let's take our break, come back, and maybe we can hear some of what, um, of what um, John Durham has to say. Back in a few. John Durham is beginning his comments. Let's go there, Josh. ...to my subsequent appointment as special counsel in these matters. Many of the most significant issues documented in the report that we have written, including those relating to lack of investigative uh, discipline, failure to take logistical, logical investigative steps, and bias are re- uh, relevant to important national security interests that this committee and the American people are concerned about. If repeated and left unaddressed, these issues could result in significant national security risks and further erode the public's faith and confidence in our justice system. As we said in the report, um, our findings were sobering. And tell you, having spent 40 years plus as a federal prosecutor, they were particularly sobering to me. A number of my colleagues who uh, spent decades in the FBI themselves, they were sobering. While I'm encouraged by some of the reforms that have been implemented by the FBI, the problems identified in this report, anybody who actually reads the report and the details of the report, the documented portions of the report, I think would uh, would find that um, the problems identified in the report are not susceptible to overnight fixes. As we said in the report, they cannot be addressed solely by enhancing training or additional policy requirements. Rather, what is required is accountability, both in terms of the standards to which our law enforcement personnel uh, hold themselves and in the consequences they face for violation of laws and policies of relevance. I'm here to answer your questions. I appreciate the opportunity to. I'll answer them to the best of my ability, and I hope to be of service to your oversight function. As I'm sure you know, the Department of Justice Um, has issued some guidelines as to what I'm authorized to discuss and those things that I am not authorized to discuss. In this regard, uh, accordingly, I'll refer principally to the report. I do want to emphasize a few points at the outset, however. First, I want to emphasize in the strongest terms possible that my colleagues and I carried out our work in good faith, with integrity and in the spirit of following the facts wherever they lead without fear uh, or favor. At no time and in no sense did we act with a purpose to further partisan or political ends to the extent that somebody suggests otherwise that's simply untrue and offensive. 
Second, the findings set forth in this report are serious and deserve attention from the American public and its representatives. Let me just briefly highlight a few of those. For one, we found troubling violations of law and policy in the conduct of highly consequential investigations directed at members of a presidential campaign and ultimately a presidential administration. To me, it matters not whether it was a Republican campaign or a Democrat campaign. It was a presidential campaign. Our team comprised dedicated and experienced prosecutors and law enforcement agents who worked day in and day out through the entire um, COVID epidemic in the office trying to interview people, all in an effort to try to get to those facts and the ground truth. Uh, that such a group of people made these findings, experienced FBI agents, experienced prosecutors, not people by and large from Washington, but from other parts of the country. The fact that these people made these findings, as reflected in the report, um, is of concern. Um, and should be of concern to any American who cares about our civil liberties, the rule of law, and the just and proportionate application of the law to all of us. Whether we're friends or we're foes, the law ought to apply to everybody in the same way. During our investigation, we charged a former FBI agent who pleaded guilty to the felony offense of altering and fabricating a portion of a document used to obtain a court order, a FISA order, of a surveillance of a United States citizen which in our view is a significant problem. Several of the relevant FISA applications at issue um, in the Crossfire investigation omitted references to what was clearly relevant and highly exculpatory information that should have been disclosed to the FISA court. Multiple FBI personnel who signed or assisted in preparing renewal applications for that same FISA warrant acknowledged that they did not believe that the target, Mr. Page, was a threat to national security, much less a knowing agent of a foreign power, which is what the law requires. It appears from our investigation that the FBI leadership dismissed those concerns. Another aspect of our findings concerned the FBI's failure to sufficiently scrutinize information it received or to apply the same standards to allegations it received about the Clinton and Trump campaigns. As our report details, the FBI was uh, too willing to accept and use politically funded and uncorroborated uh, opposition research, such as the Steele dossier. The FBI relied on the dossier and FISA applications, knowing there was uh, likely um, material originating from a political campaign, a political opponent. It did so even after the President of the United States, the FBI and CIA directors and others received briefings about intelligence suggesting that there was a Clinton campaign plan underway to stir up a scandal tying Trump to Russia. The accuracy of the intelligence was uncertain at the time, but the FBI failed to analyze or even assess the implications of the intelligence in any meaningful way. When the FBI learned that the primary source of information for the Steele dossier, which was basically the guts of the narrative about there being a well um, uh, coordinated conspiracy involving Trump and the Russians. When they learned that uh, Danchenko was the um, uh, primary subsource uh, for those reports, it was at the time when the FBI already knew that Danchenko himself had previously been the suspect of an FBI espionage investigation. He was suspected of being a Russian asset. Um, and nonetheless, they signed him up as a paid informant without further investigation 
of that espionage concern to say nothing of resolving that espionage matter before using Denchenko and Denchenko's information. And when the FBI and Special Agent Mueller's office learned that Steele's primary subsource likely had gathered important portions of the dossier information uh, during travels to Russia with uh, one Charles Dolan, it inexplicably decided not to interview Dolan uh, or investigate his activities. Finally, I would like to add that although our work exposed uh, deep concerns um, concerning facts about the conduct of these investigations, our report should not be read to suggest in any way that Russian election interference was not a significant threat. It was. <laughs> Nor should it be read to suggest that the investigation, um, the investigative authorities at issue uh, are no longer serve important law enforcement and national security interests. They do. Rather, responsibility for the failures and transgressions that occurred here rests with the people who committed them or allowed them to occur. Again, to my mind, the issues raised in the report deserve close attention from the American people and their elected representatives here in Washington. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Durham. Uh, the, we will now proceed under the five-minute uh, rule for questions. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from Louisiana, Mr. Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Durham, for being here today. This is much anticipated. We have lots of questions for you. I'll try to set the table here at the outset uh, from 20,000 feet. The American people rely on the FBI to abide by its guiding principles, and you know what those are, fidelity, bravery, and integrity. And we rely upon them to uphold the Constitution and protect the American people. Americans deserve and expect from our premier law enforcement agency to apply justice blindly, and that is without political bias or ulterior motives. However, your report now famously states, and here's the big quote, based on the review of Crossfire Hurricane and related intelligence activities, you concluded that the DOJ and FBI failed to uphold their important mission of strict fidelity to the law. There's no, way, another, no other way to put this. The report illustrates egregious actions on behalf of the FBI that have further eroded faith in our institutions. Mr. Durham, in your report, and again here today, you said that your findings and conclusions are sobering. Could you unpack a little bit more what that means? Why do you say sobering? Well, let me, let me um, give you some uh, real-life um, views on that. <laughs> I have had um, any number of FBI agents um, who I've worked with over the years, some of them are retired, some are still in place, who have come to me and apologized for the manner in which uh, that investigation was undertaken. I take that seriously. These are good, hard-working, the majority of people in the FBI, decent human beings who swear to, uh, under their oaths to... Uh, abide by the law and, and the like. And uh, I think that, that um, typifies, exemplifies of, uh, the, of the concern here. Um, there, is, uh, there are investigative activities undertaken or not undertaken here, uh, which raise real concerns about whether or not the law was followed, the policies in place, the FBI were followed. Um, you wrote in your report, quote, based on the evidence gathered in the multiple exhaustive and costly federal investigations of these matters, including the instant investigation, neither U.S. law enforcement nor the intelligence community appears to have possessed any actual evidence of collusion in their holdings at the commencement of the crossfire investigation. To date, has any evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia ever been uncovered? I mean, there is, there is information, obviously, in the um, report that was prepared by Director Mueller uh, and whatnot. But as uh, to collusion or conspiracy, I'm not aware of any. And, and, when, and, and let me stop you. When the FBI opened Crossfire Hurricane, that's the issue at hand, 
it did not have any information that anyone in the Trump campaign had ever been in contact with Russian intelligence officials. Isn't that right? As we wrote in, as we wrote in the, um, uh, the report, talked to the director of the CIA, the deputy director of the CIA, the director of NSA, um, uh, and people within the uh, FBI, and there was no such information that they had in their holdings at the time they opened Crossfire Hurricane. And, and you uh, detail, I'm going to go quickly here, I run out of time, you, you, and you detail how FBI personnel working on FISA applications uh, violated protocols, they were cavalier at best, as you said in your own words, towards accuracy and completeness. Um, senior FBI personnel displayed a serious lack of analytical rigor uh, towards information that they received, especially information received from politically affiliated persons or entities. And you said, quote, a significant reliance on investigative leads provided or funded by Trump's political opponents were relied upon here. Among the most alarm alarming things that you referred to in the report is the impact of confirmation bias. And you said in your report at page 303, that's defined as, or it stands for, the general proposition that there is a common human tendency, mostly unintentional, for people to accept information and evidence that is consistent with what they believe to be true. But sir, here, this wasn't innocent, unintentional, unintentional human tendency, was it? It was overt political bias, was it not? Peter Strzok, for example. There are uh, some in individuals uh, who clearly expressed um, a personal bias. Um, it's difficult to get into somebody else's head to see whether they knew it. Unless we have their emails, right? And he had, and Peter Strzok, for example, pronounced host he had pronounced hostile feelings towards President Trump. Everybody knows that. Everybody in the country knows it. So he was in charge of this. He was the Deputy Assistant Director of Counterintelligence, officially opened the investigation at the direction of FBI, Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe. He said horrible things about President Trump and all of his supporters, by the way. How could we say he did not have political bias? Yeah, I know that uh, it clearly re reflects a personal bias th that he had. I'll leave it to others and the facts that are set out in the, um, in the reports, whether that's political bias, personal bias, but there's clearly bias. What we know now is the FBI and the DOJ have been turned into activated political weapons against citizens and even a former president because of their uh, opposing viewpoints, sir. Um, they failed to follow protocols in 2016, and you've suggested new protocols may somehow be affixed to this. How can the American people have confidence that if they didn't follow, follow protocols in 2016 that they will new protocols? And I think that's why um, I said that in the opening remarks, you know, this is not an easy fix. I mean, it's going to take time uh, to rebuild the public's confidence in the institution. The changes of the forms they have made are certainly changes that are going to guard to some extent against the repeat of what happened in Crossfire Hurricane. I'm out of time. I yield back. Gentleman yields back. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from New York. Mr. Mr. Durham, can you pull that microphone real close so everyone gets, can, sure. can hear what you say there? I, we, we appreciate that. Gentleman from New York is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Durham, your report reads like a defense of the Trump campaign and an attack on Hillary Clinton because that's exactly what it is. Donald Trump wanted you to investigate the investigators to show the deep state conspiracy, but you never found one. Instead, you gave him and his MAGA Republicans the next best thing, someone else to blame for Donald Trump's problems. That's why you're here today, because the chairman and his colleagues need someone, anyone, to deflect from the mounting evidence of Trump's misconduct. Let me remind you that Donald Trump was federally indicted on 37 counts for mishandling classified information. 37 counts. That's why you're here today, not because of anything that happened in 2016. Ms. Durham, your investigation cost more than $6.5 million, involved the work of dozens of FBI employees and federal prosecutors, some of whom resigned in protest and took roughly four years to complete. Is that correct? No. It's not correct. No, I mean, there were multiple did, parts of that. Did it take four years to complete? 
Correct. Okay. And with all these resources and all these people you, you were sent to help you investigate the investigators, you only filed three criminal cases. You only brought two cases to trial, correct? Correct. And you lost all the cases you brought to trial, correct? Correct. In fact, two juries acquitted your defendants on all charges. And the one conviction that you obtained, the defendant pleaded guilty to a single count that never went to trial, correct? Correct. I will note that in that case, the primary investigative steps were all completed by Inspector General Horowitz. Perhaps you were better when it came to your report. From my reading, your report did not make any specific concrete recommendations to improve DOJ or FBI policies or procedures. In fact, your report repeatedly references the recommendations made by Inspector General Horowitz, almost all of which DOJ and FBI have already implemented. Again, your investigation lasted four years. Four years in untold sums of money, and you still obtained only one conviction. You did produce a 300-page report, though, and that's given my Republican counterparts plenty of material to spin. Mr. Durham, George Papadopoulos was a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign in spring 2016. Isn't that right? Correct. And in May 2016, he told an Australian diplomat that the Trump team had received some kind of suggestion from Russia that it could assist this process with the anonymous release of information during the campaign that would be damaging to Secretary Clinton. This is a fact that came out during the Mueller investigation, and your investigation found nothing to dispute this fact, correct? There's more detail to that in the report. Did it find anything to dispute this report, to dispute this fact? No. Okay. On page 50 of your report, you wrote that, you, you wrote that on July 28, 2016, FBI headquarters received the Australian information that formed the basis for the opening of Crossfire Hurricane, correct? Correct. So this fantasy that some MAGA Republicans have created, where the investigation was started for any reason other than a Trump campaign operative bragging to Australian intelligence assets about Russian dirt that would damage Hillary Clinton is not true. And when the FBI received that information, according to your report, it had not just the predication to investigate, there is no question, you wrote, that the FBI had an affirmative obligation to closely examine the Australian information. Isn't that right? The FBI had an obligation to examine. So that's correct. So the origin of the investigation was not the Steele dossier. It was not Alpha Bank. It was a Trump aide's loose lips about his campaign's advanced view into a hack that had a profound effect on the 2016 election. That information supplied by the Australian government gave the FBI predication to begin an investigation. I'd like to discuss one more false inclusion about your report that's made its way into the MAGA Republican talking points. Some of my colleagues across the aisle have started calling this the, quote, Russia hoax. It's the theory that Russia did not actually interfere in the 2016 presidential election. That is patently false. In 2017, during the Trump administration, the Director of National Intelligence declassified a report on Russian activity in the 2016 election. You're aware of this report, correct? Correct. And in this report, the intelligence community found that, quote, Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered an influence campaign in 2016 aimed at the U.S. presidential election. Russia's goals were to undermine public faith in the U.S. democratic process, denigrate Secretary Clinton, and harm her electability and potential presidency. We further assess Putin and the Russian government developed a clear preference for President-elect Trump, close quote. You did not dispute that Trump ordered an influence campaign to influence the 2016 election in your report, did you? As I said, there was a real yes Russian no? threat. No, okay. Special Counsel Mueller indicted 12 Russian intelligence officers in July 2018, isn't that right? Correct. 
The 12 intelligence officers were indicted for attacking the Clinton campaign. On page 55 of your report, you acknowledge that at a press conference in 2016, Donald Trump on camera said, Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. Is that correct? It's correct. And two years later, they'll sink it to summit. Trump told the press that he believed Russian President Putin over his own intelligence officials when he told them Russia did not interfere during the 2016 election uh, season. I see my time has expired. I yield back. Gentlemen, can witness can respond if he chooses to. Let's go ahead and take a break. Our last break right of the show. I just think this is worthy of, uh, of consuming. Take a break. Back in a minute. You know, the interesting part of this, I mean, there's a lot of interesting parts. We missed Russell Fry. Our congressman was able to kind of address um, John Durham. Go? He was and, on um, yeah, center yeah. stage there He's a minute playing ago. a part of that team. You got one team that wants to um, validate the Durham report. You want one, you got one that wants to, uh, I guess, delegitimize the the the, the Durham report. The, what I find interesting is... The political left in America today wants to convince Americans that MAGA bad. I mean, it's the MAGA movement, the MAGA extremist, the MAGA way. I mean, it's MAGA, and they say it in such a, a derogatory fashion. Someone texted me a second ago, and Rev and I were talking. I mean, MAGA is a, an abbreviation to make America great again. Now, I understand the, the historical context. I mean, I, I'm aware. I'm not crazy. I mean, I'm not naive to any of that. I mean, I understand um, if you're an African-American, you know, America 100 years ago wasn't so great. I get that. I mean, you know, and you got to be sensitive of that. You got to be aware of that. You got to be respectful and, and appreciative of that. What we're trying to do better as time goes on. We're a work in progress. Uh, are we where we need to be? No, but we're better than we were. I mean, America's not a, a destination. It's a journey. I mean, America's not the, you know, um, the perfect nation. Uh, what is it? A more perfect union, right? I mean, it doesn't say a perfect union, and that's unreal. A more perfect union, but but what about make America great again? Could be negatively um, construed. Well, I can tell you, make America America at its greatest is when we the people are in charge. And if you're an insider, you're a forty year senator or congressman or or somebody who spent all of their life in government. The last thing you want is an empowered American people. You would rather them be um, kind of in their place. You know, these are the halls of Congress. This is not the people's house. This is where we conduct, you know, the uh, the nation's business on your on your behalf. We're a little bit morally and intellectually superior than 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 you, the people. And so, so I believe, and, and and you know, this is speculation on my part, but I believe. Uh, the, the abbreviation make America great again implies that, or, or for me, it does. I mean, I, I can't say what it means to other people, but I think the greatness of America resides in the average everyday American. And, and the more that average everyday American is empowered, the better the nation is. And there's a certain amount of elitist or ruling class or, uh, you know, the, the careers cartel. Uh, you can refer to them however you choose to, but they believe that they've, um, that you know, that they're responsible and they're entitled and their birthright is to be in charge of the levers of government. And when Trump says make America great again, it's an insult to their ability to run the country. And how dare you uh, impugn their abilities or, or you know, assault their authorities. And, and I just, 
Uh, you yeah, know, see, I take a little, you know, the uh, ideal of self-governance as part of Make America Great Again, where, you know, we the people. And we're getting far away from that. But isn't that, that the that central thing? theme of self-government? The, yes, it I is. Mean, the power resides in we the people. And that's the, that's the struggle and the fight that the people who have gained the power for themselves, that's why they're putting up the fight, but, right? But if we the people are at odds with they the representatives... I mean, how you can't, I mean, that you can't square that up. There's no, one has to win and one has to lose. I mean, I understand the balance. It can't be all about, I mean, we don't have a referendum for everything that comes down the pipe, right? I mean, we, 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 we trust these people to make decisions on our behalf, mm-hmm. but when we lose trust in those two people to make decisions on our behalf, we, the people begin rising up. I mean, it, it's, it's historic. I mean, it's not, I mean, we're not the only example of this in human history. If we don't rise up, that, that'll be the exception instead of the rule. I mean, the rule historically says when, when a ruling class becomes somewhat gilded and, 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 and you know, um, insulated and removed from reality, the people detect that. They become suspicious of that. That breeds discontent. Discontent breeds some sort of, um, I'll say it, some sort of a, kind of a revolutionary attitude. And I think that's where we're headed. At least I hope it is. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.